everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. There are some things you should know about Zach Evanesh. His affinity for the days of old school training, movies, and mentality are not coincidental. It's a reflection of his passion for the pursuit of greatness, and not just by any means necessary. He believes that it's hard work that'll fill the sleeves and put points on the scoreboard. Zach preaches this to his youth athletes and that to be successful, that you have to embody that work ethic even when people are not watching. This was the mentality of the days of old school, before the internet romanticized six-pack abs and training gimmicks. Zach believes real life-changing results occur when it's just you in your garage lifting or out in a parking lot sprinting. And those results are not limited to just the physical transformation. He is the coach that everybody wants, but very few deserve. Here it is, episode 368. Nation, what is happening? Is Luke Tex here? John, and this is another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Ing, ing, ing. ing, solid echo. We have a lot of fun to discuss today. A lot of stories, a lot of catching up, and most importantly, we almost turned this episode on its head and we got all the banter out of the way first. Mm. With Zach, mm. he he wanted yes. to get right into it. Man, I didn't even have to say anything. It's great. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't want to talk strength and sets and reps and strength conditioning. Came in hard with first blood. Like uh, he didn't even get, take a breath for us to even interject in there. I remember thinking, like, I got something to say, and then I'll just wait till he breaks in his conversation, and then it was thirty minutes later, and I forgot what we were talking about. Yeah, dude. What's what I love about Zach is like he is, he is. I think, man, John, the Authentic. first time we had him on, you're like, you know what's crazy about him? He puts out content every single day. Every day he's doing something. And I think through just his incessant and constant approach to trying to get his message across and trying to build his business and trying to improve his coaching, like he's built a system that is pretty, pretty scalable, but it's through trial by fire, right? Like there wasn't a lot of like architecting and planning. He kind of he forged it by doing, you know, and I, he shares a lot of that stuff uh, on today's episode. Yes, and he's a great quote, storyteller. To quote a 13-year-old Zach Evanesh, he's pissed off for greatness. <laughs> <laughs> wrote that down. Uh, but before we get going, McQuilkin, I have a feeling like we're going to get a lot of inspired, like this episode's going to spread. It's going to have a lot of inspired coaches. It's going to provide the fuel to fire the desire to improve one's ability to hone in their coaching craft. What can we offer them? Well, this is what we do best. We provide an opportunity to empower others, especially through education. So I wanted to take the time to highlight the Power Athlete Academy, and we have Mm -hmm. a lot of different opportunities and some directed, some just an overall arching representation of strength and conditioning through our Power Athlete Methodology Level 1 or mm-hmm. injury prevention, or movement specific. So you got the warm up as well. Yeah, and then some free opportunities to learn, and then other chances to invest in yourself as a coach, as a parent, or as an athlete. 
Mm-hmm. So head to academy.powerathletehq.com. You're going to see the big star spangled courses up there. And then we got a whole catalog of courses, ladies and gentlemen, get there, get to know what's there and um, get on getting on, I guess, as they say in the business. Isn't that how they do it, Tex? Which business? The, the business. Should we get on with Zach? Should we get on getting on with Zach? There, there's a lot of getting on in this episode. So let's I get feel it on. we got to get it on. Get it on. Zach, Kevin Nash, ladies and gentlemen, let's do it. I would say this episode is old school power athlete radio. No? I just got to hear John's rendition since we missed it during the episode. What do you mean? The old school. No, Zach does it better than me. But you, well, how would Zach do it if he were you? Yeah, you doing well, Zach. Uh, but the best is old school. Zach's imitating me because I'm the one like <laughs> I like troll him with that, and so oh, when, yeah. when he says it back, he's really imitating me, imitating him, which I think is hysterical. But we want to hear you old oh, school. That's usually how he says it. It's good. <laughs> All right, let's do it. I was just at the gym. I zipped here from the gym. Are you always at the gym? I mean, isn't it like 12 times a day? You're just like laying around. You're like, I'm lazy. I'm going old school, 12, training 12 times a day. I wish. My, bo- my body feels like hell. After searching for like a couple years, I finally found the last piece of my home gym. The uh, incline hammer? Yeah, the, cedar ha- the seated hammer or uh, hammer ISO incline. Which I was is, gonna buy it for you as a gift because every time I see it, I'm like, I should just pay the shipping uh, and dude, send I, it to Johnny's place. Like, it, it's it, it's so funny. <laughs> like, uh, um, I have this strange inherent cheapness with uh, gym equipment where I want the best, but I'm not willing to pay. Like, I I mean, I, I paid for the best with the Sornex, but uh, I like I, I I don't know. Like, I was just having this like existential cheap moment where I was like, ah, you know, somebody wanted two grand, fifteen hundred. I'm like, it's too, dude, too, I saw it for like five hundred fifty bucks, five hundred bucks. There wasn't any of those that, that were even within. Like, if I had found one, right. so so finally, Ben Taylor, who's one of our uh, one of our buddies, hits me up. He's like, dude, there's this gym going up business. They have one in silver, which matches your gym. And I was like, just get it. So he like goes out there, and the guy like the guy knew what he had. So I think it cost me a grand, which was a steal. Where was it? Local to in uh, Texas? Somewhere? No, it was in Lake Charles, Louisiana, <clears throat> which is closer to Houston. So Ben was yeah. who works in Houston was coming to see his parents here in Steiner Ranch, which is right on the corner. He's like, mm-hmm. I'll just go pick it up and bring it out. So he, he dropped it off on Friday. And what's crazy is I texted Kenavy, um and dude, where's he now? Where's uh, he he's coaching? in Detroit. But uh, the hilarious part is I credit that machine with my 500 plus 535 bench because uh, I would like hit my bench and then I would get all of my volume on that machine. And I got to the point where I could press like for sets of eight to 10, five plates on either side. And like, uh, like, you know, know, because at the end of the day, like I couldn't. I couldn't ramp up the volume that high with the bench press. It just like it'll kill your fucking pecs. And um, and I was always worried about a pec rupture. And so. Uh, I would handle some pretty decent poundages for like singles, doubles, and triples, but I got all my high volume uh, work on that. It almost on that feels seat. like a decline though, because you're on that, you're laying back, and it's kind of going. The handles usually are going towards no, your sternum. Right? No, that's the that's the flat. Uh, that's the ISO yeah. press. So what this one is, you're sitting vertical upright, and you oh, press and it goes and it, up. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. So so yeah. it has this <clears throat> motion. That is kind of like uh, like the like when you bench press, it's kind of that same C motion, arcing, um, yeah, know, like a little arc, dude. But man, you know it, what? it hits my frontal delt, and like yeah. I'm not kidding you, that machine, it was like like five, six, seven, eight sets of ten, just like stacking on plates, and um, dude, that thing. And then we also had a seated 
um, shrug machine. So you put your hands through like these two pads, and then you grab oh, the pads. Oh yes, and then that's we, a Nautilus. Oh, dude, or, we, we or had, hammer strength. Yes, dude, we had one of those. That machine and that seated hammer incline. Like I can say that those two machines were more beneficial for me benching five hundred plus than any other thing I used. You see, Tex and our young fr- our young friends here, Luke and Tex. They were in like third grade when that shit was out. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, I was still so, benching three fifteen. Yeah, truth. Now listen, at, I get three fifteen p.m. Just a question: Have you guys ever benched like uh, like what's have you guys benched four hundred? Well, you guys have squatted. Have you, you Luke squatted five hundred? No, my yeah. my one one yeah. RM all time bench press was post twenty two Jack Street three hundred forty five pounds. So you got three forty five, yeah. and then Luke, you benched over. Like no, not over four hundred. My all-time high was three sixty-one on the bench. That's legit. Mm-hmm. That's pre or post flag football league. That is post flag football. Well, you know what? That might be pre. All so my lifetime PR. Callie was there spotting, and I put a, a fractional plate on just one side <laughs> to, to like get lifetime PR. And I remember her being like, "What are you doing? The, the bar is unloaded." I'm like, "I don't give a fuck." Like. I'm just gonna I'm gonna put this like you know three quarter pound plate on there, so it's either three three sixty one and three quarters or three sixty two and three quarters. But that was at yeah. uh, New Balboa, John. Huh? Um, or I, yeah, or, or, or the last program. iteration of Balboa that was Balboa three I think. Yeah, when yeah, the exactly. last of the when the last of the Mohicans were were running through there. Yo, I'm like having all like I'm visualizing PRs. I remember when I. First got my, I had my first warehouse in Edison, the first spot after the garage, and I would train oftentimes at the end of the night coaching everybody. And I remember I wanted to pull um, five plates and, and a quarter, 545. I just wanted to pull 545, and I missed it twice. And so, like, I locked the door. I put the garage door down. It was hot as hell. I'm blasting music, and I remember saying to myself, like, I will not effing leave until I pull 545. Like, if I have to take a nap, wake up at 2 or 3 a.m., I was, like, ready to, like, miss going home until I pulled it. And I can't remember if it was the third or fourth try. I pulled it, and it was, like, the ugliest deadlift. But then in my mind, I, I, I had this quick flashback of talking with Jim Wendler, and uh, I remember him talking about the deadlift. He goes, listen, they don't call it the deadlift because it looks pretty. <laughs> like, when you're setting a PR on the deadlift, it's not going to look so pretty with your flat back. And then here's my other visual. Here's what's running through Zach Evanish's mind. Johnny's got his, his new, this hammer strength incline. Kate and the kids are like, oh, it's dinner. John takes his plate and then he just goes into the gym and he eats dinner while sitting on the hammer. He's like a kid with his new bench. Uh, He's dude, like, I can't leave this. I thing. left it in the middle of the gym for like two or three days just so I could like <laughs> to look at yeah, it. Just to look at it. And then finally we moved some equipment around to get it into place. It's like when you got your first brand new BMX bike, you brought it into your room so you could sleep next to it. Dude. Uh, <laughs> so, so just a funny part. Like, uh, so my wife it's and the kids, funny, go, John, in case you're wondering, this podcast oh, is all funny. Dude. Uh, so Kate and the kids go up to the gym yesterday and they like, see it and they're like, what is this thing? And so I come down and, uh, Kate's like, Oh, that thing's pretty cool. You know, she, she jacked up her ankle. So she was using it a bunch. And, um, and then like later that night I get like a, like a text from her and it's, uh, uh, Facebook marketplace. Somebody was selling one of the big step mills Yeah. and uh, she like, and, and the tag was, this is my hammer incline. 
Like she like yes, loves she's Jacob's like Jacob's ladder. Yeah, no, no, not the Jacob's ladder, the actual big step mill, uh stair oh, step. Yes, like yes, the one with I've the revolving. That. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. She's like that uh that machine helped me get shredded for my uh, figure show. And uh, she's like, do you think we have room in the gym for it? <laughs> I was like, well, we'd probably have to get rid of some Bursa climbers to make room for it. But uh, Those things blow up your legs. I remember when I was bodybuilding, my cardio was always 30 minutes of the Stairmaster and then 15 minutes on the stationary bike. I just remember finishing the Stairmaster and my legs were just getting huge. But, you know, some people do those little bunny steps. You got to take those long you got to take those long, big strides. And it's so funny because my wife, she always says the same thing. She wants the Stairmaster. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I'm telling you, man, the step mill where like the steps just keep coming and you actually have to walk up them. When we when we were doing the 22 Jack Street, we were training at, um, what was that place, uh, Metrics, Luke, or the 12 or whatever it was? Uh, yeah, it, turned, it was Metrics, turn, and then it turned into the 12 where there was like techno wads. Do you, do you Ke- remember? In California the, yeah, this, is, this is in Newport Beach. No. Dude, this place would not survive. Well, uh, do you eh, think that place would survive yeah, in Texas? Yeah, like people in, rolling up in their Land Rovers going on. In like Austin, doing, and, or, the, or maybe Dallas. They'd, they'd have like a DJ going. And he'd be like, all right, everybody. We're in there. 12 pound dumbbells, 12 pound dumbbells. And they just do 500. Totally. They were doing that when. In the 90s, when that shit was exploding, all that club music and Medrex was big. Remember, not Medrex. Um. Uh, body for what was it? What was body for life's EAS? Yeah, EAS was big, so it was kind of like everybody's in their like early mid 20s, you know, going to New York City. They started getting like DJs on like Wednesday nights, Friday nights in these gyms. They never was in the one gym I went to, but I'll tell you, the best I always talk to you guys about the best gym I, I went to for probably about eight years was Diamond Gym, which is like the West Side Barbell of bodybuilding. The Music was always made um, by guys that were the bouncers at the strip clubs. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I want to so, lick you up and down. <laughs> it was like all stop. of the crazy, like New York City house music, or they were the bouncers in New York City. And so, some of these guys, you know, the bodybuilders who competed in these pro bodybuilding shows of the 90s, they've died. And I was here talking about, you know, blood and guts. I've got a I'm going to find an old photo. It's somewhere in the garage. I took a photo with Dorian Yates on the streets of New York City. Oh, damn it you. Was at the 95 Night of Champions, which oh. is now called the New York City Pro. And, um, you know, it's 95. There's no digital. Uh, we don't have uh, cell phones. Yeah, you probably so used an Instamatic cam like a throwaway. No, my friend had a, uh, <clears throat> you know, one of those kind of high-end cameras. We're walking back for the night show, and Dorian is with his first wife. And I see Dorian. I'm like, dude, there's Dorian. Get your camera out. He's like, ah, he's like digging through his bag. And I say, uh, I say, excuse me, Dorian, would you be, uh, would it be okay to take a photo? And he's like, yeah, quick one. So I, I, we shake hands and he gave me like this, you know, the wet fish handshake. He didn't, he didn't give me the full blown, (laughs) you know, bro handshake. It wasn't a strong handshake, but that bodybuilding show was won by Nasser El Sambadi, who's now, he's passed. So I remember a poor little protein shake out for Nasser. The first, he was kind of like the first bodybuilder we saw like ripped at like 275, 285. And Who, Nasser? Nasser. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. He would, you know, everybody was kind of competing around 245 or so. 
you know, and then he comes along. And I remember one of the guys from our gym, he was crazy. His name was George, but they called him Flex. He's upstairs. Nasser comes out and George was like very over the top. And we're in the Beacon Theater. So it's, you know, it's got like the, the different seating up top. And I hear, I hear Flex going, holy shit. He's like screaming, holy shit. He's like, holy shit, Nasser. And he's like bugging out. And so speaking of all this music, after the night show is over, Right next door, you had probably been there, I'm sure, with your buddies from Philly. It was it was the China Club. The China Club was right next to it. So I'm 19 years old. Uh, <laughs> so, dude, I, I do that. Just I knew it. the only thing I'm going to interrupt you on is I used to go up when I was in Philly every Monday night. We had a standing deal at the China Club. Uh, with Shockey and a bunch of guys from the... Uh, uh, was there a China Club in Philly uh, also? No, no, from the Yankees. So I used to go up and I had a standing hotel reservation at the W China or uh, one, one of those hotels, I can't remember. And then we yep. would go to dinner and then we'd hit the China, China, China Club. China yeah, that's Club. Rick James, right? That's yeah. Rick James on oh, Chappelle. Oh, dude, uh, that place, uh, like, I just remember rolling in there with, like, Shockey and Giambi and those dudes and, like, it, like... Like paparazzi, you know, just like yes. people screaming and it just being like, this is yeah. what it's like to be so a rock I was star. 19. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I was 19 and who were the bouncers? Guys from the gym. <laughs> so like, they're like, here's Zach. Zach, go right ahead, man. Boom. Skip, skip the VIP line. I didn't know what the hell is going on. Like two on. fingers? They like yes. see you and they just yeah. give you the two fingers Boom. to pull you forward? There he is. <clears throat> so that gym, those guys must have gotten like CDs from the DJs. So our music in the gym was always loud and they had the sound system with speakers everywhere and um of course we had that hammer strength incline machine at uh diamond gym and i used to see guys not just pressing it i think i I saw it you probably saw it on the west side um documentary they turn it around and i saw a guy clean press and just pull and press or they would just do one arm presses it's kind of like the unspoken rule in that gym was like, you may not know what you're doing, but you better be a fucking hard worker. And there was a lot of guys in there that just like, it was like work. And you know what else? You know those, you see them on Instagram. They post those guys lifting with cement weights. I think they're in like Africa or something. Mm-hmm. That's how a lot of these guys look. They were just fucking jacked and ripped off mom's home cooking. Everybody. And, and so, club music. <laughs> well, it's really, the, it's really the missing element from everybody's training is uh, legit house music. <laughs> well, listen, when I was, I got a full-time strength and conditioning position at a high school, started October 30th. And, uh, you know, we block out these times for the teams and the baseball team just had such a great personality. And <clears throat> what I used to do is like, if they would work hard, I'd always tell them like a, a gym story, an old school gym story, different stories. Like who was the craziest guy in the gym or guys, look at these York plates. Let me explain to you where York barbell came from. Let me talk to you about strength and health picnics. Then we had, um, I found this playlist. I, I, I think it was called like high school pregame sports mix. And on one of the, one of the songs was like a house song. And I was like, Oh guys, you don't know about this music. You ain't ready for it. So I bring them in and I told them like stories of diamond Jim. And so then I would put on house music and they got fired up. They were going crazy with house music. And the the most heartbreaking thing was um, the schools got shut down. 
right when tryouts ended. So these guys trained with me for four months. I mean, we had, <clears throat> we had guys pulling 405. We had plenty of kids that weighed like 165, 175, pulling 315, sprinting hills, jumping, just killing shit. And seniors <clears throat> got their senior baseball season, lacrosse, you name it. But the baseball guys in particular were such, I called them the baseball army. I said, you guys need to talk to coach. We need this year's uniforms to be in camouflage. And before we go out, we're going to watch top five Rambo kill scenes. <laughs> but these guys got into it. And then I, you know, kind of like made like a little club. I'd be like, guys, don't be going out telling other people these stories. Okay. Nobody needs to know about crazy Eddie. That's our story. Okay. That what happens here stays here. So then, then I'd like tell a kid, let's say it's like us. I'd be like, the text, turn around, face the crew. Say, guys, he'd say, guys, nobody needs, you know, what happens here, Stacey. And I'd like give them like a dumb speech to like say, but they got so into it. It became like a little fight club for the guys <clears throat> and just heartbreaking for those seniors. That was their first time having, you know, legit strength and conditioning. These kids were just cutting, cutting their sleeves off, you know, arms are pumping and just, see, you know, season got cut from them. It was just heartbreaking, dude. Heartbreaking. So what do we got, guys? What's on the agenda today? Um, you know, what create oh movies. Let me let me get the agenda going, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> let me continue it. here. This is what I was thinking about. You guys were talking about what movies would you be in? And I felt like there's so many one-liners from Rambo First Blood <clears throat> that could be with you guys, where let's say, you know, uh, what was the sheriff's name? That's not Galt, right? Sheriff was not Galt. What was Sheriff's first? What was his name? Man, uh, I don't know. <clears throat> Sheriff and Rambo First Blood. Uh, the guy who got shot from the helicopter was Galt, yeah. right? Uh, mm -hmm. Teasdale? And then the Sheriff's Teasdale. Was Teasdale. it Teasdale? Yeah. Teasdale, something I think like it is Teasdale. So, right, John Te is... Um, Teasel. Teasel, yep. yep. Oh, did I just miss Cashy? I miss them, dude. I have uh, such funny memories. <laughs> yeah, listen, I know all about it. I've done podcasts when my kids were younger, and I remember they like crawled through this window of my office and shot me with those big Nerf uh, guns. Hey, buddy. Hey, no tuning in. <laughs> my kids were shooting me with those monster-sized Nerf uh, Nerf bullets, and then. Another memorable moment was I was doing a um, webinar and my daughter like climbs through. I got like a little window in the office. She climbs through. She goes over like my office shelf. Then she's here. She's kind of near my desk, but not on the camera. And then she pulls her tooth out and there's blood all over her hands and I'm <laughs> doing the webinar. And so the guy says to me after the webinar, because it was a solo webinar, I had like a uh, PDF with bullets I was following. He, his response was, I sure hope the transcriptionist can type fast. <laughs> I was like, you, if you only knew what was happening. So, all right. So here's, here's the one liners from Rambo. So Rambo gets picked up, right? <clears throat> Sheriff picks him up and, um, he's like, Hey, I thought you said you're going, you know, you're going north, you're going south, you're going north. Rambo says, why are you pushing me? And then the Sheriff goes, First off, I get to ask the questions around here, not you. So I had this like visual that like Luke and Tex are asking you about like a new, new project, new power athlete program. 
Mm-hmm. I said, why are we doing that? Nobody's asked about it. Then Johnny says, excuse me? First of all, I asked the questions around here. Not you. Got that? <laughs> right? And then uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of that this one was a good one. Tex, I think you were <clears throat> you were not showing up to when they were when you guys were laying the cement for the farm, for the barn gym, right? And Luke is out there getting pissed off, doing all this manual labor, as I would. I would too. I'd be like, why don't we pay somebody? Why don't we pay somebody to do this? Luke's like, listen, man, I'm coming from corporate. And then Johnny's like, <clears throat> Johnny's like, what's the, what's the line? He's like, I'm a man who's been trained to ignore pain, to eat things that make a billy go puke. I've been trained by... <laughs> No, it's my old man Zangus. My old man Zangus. Then Luke's like, "I'm corporate, man. I'm corporate." <laughs> hey, I'm used to pushing pencils, baby. I'm not pushing. I'm not pushing wheelbarrows, man. I'm pushing pencils and TPS reports. Johnny, oh, here you, you built go. that whole thing, bro. It blow, It blows my mind that you just find a way to work with your hands. Zach, here's the line: I'm a man who's been trained to ignore pain, ignore weather, to live off the land to eat things that would make a billy goat puke. In Vietnam, his job was to dispose of the enemy personnel, to kill, period. To kill! He was the best! Yeah. That was, I still watch, I watch that all the time. I think I watch when I'm in like a mood where I'm kind of like pissed off and I feel like I need to go out and kill shit, not kill people. (laughs) I don't want no cops rolling up on me who are listening to Parathlete thinking I lost my mind. But that movie still fires me up. I, I, I saw it. I, I think I was in third grade. <clears throat> My dad took me to watch that movie. And there used to be a very popular flea market. It was called the Route 1 Flea Market, the US 1 Flea Market. And they always had these old Vietnam vets selling <clears throat> all those old army military shirts. You could get like hollow, you could get bullets that were empty, grenades. And I would take any money I made from my paper route, allowance money, and I was just buying all of these military shirts. And I remember the, I went to school. I can't believe my parents let me do this. I went to school with that shirt that said, kill them all, let God sort them out. <laughs> and they made me, they like made me turn the shirt inside out. They called my dad and I'm thinking, I don't even know what the hell I'm doing. And I, I'm thinking to myself, didn't my dad know I'm wearing a shirt that's slightly inappropriate for school? They were so busy working though. They were out of the house by the time we woke up. They didn't know. I, I, I think I got in trouble. I got in trouble for wearing like a Bart Simpson eat my shorts, dude. They made me turn that inside out. I, or maybe it's because I wore it on photo day. I don't know. I got in, I don't know. And that's they're like, you're wearing. That's a different era, Luke. Oh, dude. Yeah. You're wearing kill them all. <laughs> like God sort them out. Come on, dude. <laughs> and then what's more embarrassing is like, I didn't even join the military. So it's like, I'm a, I'm a total, uh, what you, <clears throat> I'm a sellout wearing that shirt in third grade. Oh, that's hilarious, dude. I'm Yo, Z, I got to... Oh, no, no, Luke, let's catch you up. But on the um, <laughs> on the first blood, and that's all I'll say about this, uh, I got an email from Brett Hawker the other day uh, that, oh, yeah. that there was, I don't know if you saw it come through, uh, but there was uh, the guy who wrote the book is releasing like 60 prints of like Rambo to commemorate it or something. So I get this link and he's like, Hey, I saw this come across and I, and you should check it out. So I click on it and it's like the, uh, like a, I think it's probably three by four foot, like m- memorial or, uh, uh, like one of 60, I don't know, painting, photograph. I don't know what it was, but, uh, yeah. for, for Rambo first blood. And I was like, 
Okay, we're we're getting that for the it's podcast. So no, it's a it's a picture, a uh, like a poster. Oh, I'm I'm waiting for it. I'll get it framed. And I figure <laughs> it'll adorn somewhere here in the podcast room, maybe over it my right be, shoulder. He's got that um, partnership with like the official Sly Stallone shop. No, so I, 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 I I bought that shirt. Oh, did you? His uh, mug shop. People yeah. love that shirt. By the way, they stop me all the time. That is a great shirt. shirt. It's amazing. I think the last time, dude, it's been Zach. Forgive Two me. Weeks. It's been years since I've watched fucking First Blood, man. All right, forget I, it. Fire this uh, guy. Dude, I, uh, <laughs> I have it permanently saved <laughs> on my guy. phone. So when I lost my phone, I had to go re-download it. And I was on uh, one of those sites like looking to download it. And it took me a while to find it. You download like, the movie on your phone? You oh, yeah. So, so I saved it. So I, I have like five that or six movies level. that stay constant on my phone that if I have time or on an airplane, I just watch the same movies. One of them is like Beer Fest. Uh, R- uh, Rambo, First Blood, uh, yes. the John Wick movies, and I like kind of like yeah, have John these you know, solid ones that I know if I got two hours on an airplane, I'm more than happy to watch this movie again. <laughs> Guys, so Zach, can, can you hear Zach. Callie laughing? She's laughing now. <laughs> no, she's just disappointed. She's like, man, they're they're 30 minutes in and already talking movies. Movies. Zach, where what's your head? Where's your head at on uh, the business? On heat. On heat? What do you mean on heat? <clears throat> the movie, dude. Bobby. Oh, the movie Heat? Yeah, where it's like, I love, well, that one line is actually such a, what is the line where he says, if you if you can't walk away and... Yeah, yeah don't get yourself into any, yeah. Yeah, that, don't, don't get yourself involved with anything you can't walk out on in 30 seconds if you see the heat around the corner. That is a good line for the strength and conditioning business. Didn't you guys interview uh, Pat Ivey or maybe somebody? He, I feel like one of you guys, or he had said that. Did you guys interview him? We I feel did. like it was brought up during yeah, we did. Well, we did interviewed Pat Ivey, Robert De Niro, and Al Pacino. <laughs> Great ass. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of actors. Wingro. Wingro. You know who's Wingro. from this, this uh, little town I live in is uh, Jack Nicholson. He didn't live in this town. He went to high school in this town. There's like the small beach town's feet here. He lived in a town called uh, Neptune. <clears throat> which is not really the, the nicest area now, but uh, Jack Nicholson. Uh, grew up in this area so uh, but anyway the heat i thought was a, a good movie and i saw a one that was similar to it uh two nights ago and not really yeah kind of similar to it i think it was called 21 bridges where those guys oh yeah. oh yeah did you see that yes that guy's a pretty good actor and he was oh, in yeah. a good movie on netflix called message from a king or the king did you see that i haven't, I haven't seen, seen that one that was a good one because he goes he becomes basically He's from uh, one of the islands. He's like an undercover cop from the islands that's got like a lot of crime. His sister <clears throat> calls for help. She's living in L.A. And uh, he goes out and basically does his detective work and starts just beating the shit out of people. Just one man army. You know, it's like Steven Seagal. Yeah. Not for dude, justice. It's just better. Yeah. I love. See, I love people who just like fuck up the bullies. I love it. It just. I feel like it should be happening in real life. Like the, like the Punisher in real life. Like yeah. I, I'm always like, I, I watched I the, Punisher. the Punisher. I watched, they're not coming back with the series and it sounds like I'm a big TV guy, but I'm going to tell you something last year or yeah, not this winter, the previous winter, you know, I was working at the elementary school teaching and I got so sick. I was sick for like a month. I don't know if I had pneumonia, I was getting destroyed. So COVID, on the weekend, COVID-19. I did, my wife said, she said, you had to have had it last year. Well, I just got tested for the antibodies um, a couple of days last week, and I am not 
uh, immune to it. So that means I did not have it, but I must have gotten crushed by something from the little ones. And so I watched on the weekends, the uh, Punisher. <clears throat> and I just love vigilantes. I love people who stand for good and they can just fuck people up. And take initiative too. Like there's a yes. little bit like, they're not going to wait. They're not going to hesitate. They're going to do what's right. And uh, I mean, I understand yeah. the risks of vigilante justice for sure, but you know, that's also the essence behind Batman. So Batman's one of my favorite movies. That was, I think there's like the first real story and movie I watched yes. I was a kid was the original, like the Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Batman. And that thing was on repeat in our house. That was in the early nineties. Mm -hmm. It was, I think 88 is when it came out. And then yeah, all through the. Okay. You know how I remember the... Batman? <clears throat> Let me tell you guys, you guys ready for another story? Yeah. We've got, we've got the power athlete nation listeners on the edge of their seats. I think also guys, is this my fourth time on, on the podcast? Am I, did I, I beat be five. everybody? Five. I, I had it up don't here. Don't be putting me in no second place. I know some people you put on repeat. Don't be putting me in that second place spot. Well, you know, so you're, I think you're one of the only episodes <clears throat> that we, early on, you know, you first 150. Repost. Yeah, we reposted because it was so epic. So and, it kind uh, of I mean, messed up the validity of our viewers. No, no, it doesn't. I think it just, it puts a tiny little asterisk there. So yeah. that doesn't matter. So listen, let's get back to the little Batman story here. Johnny, are you ready for this? I've written I've written about this. Not that you read any of my old school articles. So I love you stuff. <clears throat> but I only catch it, but I only catch it when you when you repost it on Facebook. So, oh really? Yeah. So like if you repost them on Facebook, I tend to find them. But if if you don't, I don't. Why don't you find them on Instagram? What the hell is uh, for, for for some reason they don't the like, algorithm. Yeah, like you know uh, why? You have to like it. If you don't like something in two or three days, it's out. <clears throat> it's out you don't you stop seeing that person's stuff and i think you've said this too john is that you're like damn it why didn't i come across this guy's stuff but i'm seeing all this shit i don't want to see and <clears throat> it's interesting here we'll get back to batman well just tag you know, me and shit if you if you really want me to read anything just tag me like if you're okay. writing something and you're like god i want john to read this tag me all right good I'm a selfish so listen to this story i'm a selfish ass selfish selfish it's all right dr john russen good guy he's always pumping loud music when he's training and it and it could be whatever rap rock a lot of hip-hop rap and uh i'm like dude every time there's music in the background of my um videos my video gets removed and i have to appeal it and i'm like <clears throat> this guy's music is sometimes the same music as mine and no problems he gets a lot more views. And there's been, of course, you've seen um, people getting shut down with this COVID, um, the COVID pandemic thing. And even that guy, Brian Rose, with um, whatever his uh, show is, it's got like millions upon millions. It's got like 1.5 million subscribers. <clears throat> YouTube's going to take him down because he interviewed the person that did that video on the COVID pandemic. So there's a lot of... Um, what's the word conspiracy theory about <clears throat> what they allow. So Zach, um, hang on. Can you fill us in a little bit? Cause I'm not tracking on like the pandemic okay. concept. Yeah. yeah. There was a, there was a video. I didn't get to watch it all. I, I, I didn't wa watch it all. I kind of went through pieces of it, but I think somebody basically came out with this COVID pandemic that it was like a government, um, that it was government planned. And so the person put the video out on YouTube, bang, got removed. People reposted it 
<clears throat> on Instagram, boom, got removed. It went on Vimeo. Um, I don't know if it's still up on Vimeo. And then Brian Rose, what's the name of his show? London Real. Oh, yeah. He interviewed yeah. that person. And um, he's got 1.5 million subscribers, eight years of videos. He had to get on the phone with YouTube. And uh, I don't have the exact context because I didn't watch the, the whole thing through and through. But from what I understand is <clears throat> somebody disagrees with it. Maybe a influential medical people on the staff, whoever reviews stuff. So they basically told him that they're pulling down his whole channel. So he made a video that said the end and he encouraged people <clears throat> download your favorite three episodes of mine because, you know, probably within the next day or two, uh, we will be removed from YouTube. And so sometimes being popular and having a lot of views is, you know, not where you want to be. And that's why there's some companies creating, I guess it would be similar to train heroic of content creation. They've created an app where you could release your content that is not controlled by the big wigs, which would be Facebook, YouTube, and Facebook owns Instagram, because now you can create your own stuff, of course, still be professional, but not get hurt for playing music. You know, um, there's just a lot of tricks to this social media game. It's tricky. It's weird. Uh, maybe, I don't know how we went from maybe, Batman uh, to that. Uh, maybe Rusin um, like buys a license. So I, I, I know Luke probably knows way more about this than I do. But uh, like I know if you're going to yeah. use somebody's music on Instagram or sorry on Facebook or sorry on it's just background YouTube, music. It's on yes, attribution yeah, or yeah, you have to give attribution or licenses. yeah or buy a license. So I know like uh, we used Kyle Turley's um, you know smoking. I think is. Uh, or uh, whatever. Skull shaker. Yeah, yeah, whatever uh, the song we use for our intro. But Kyle's our friend and totally granted us rights to use his songs. Right, that's so. different. That's, that's a but recording. No, the, the, so the point I'm talking about is, music in the background. Same your, deal. Your stereo is playing. Same deal. <clears throat> yeah, so, but we still get pinged by the record label. Even yeah. though Kyle gave us permission, mm -hmm. the label still pings us because we haven't been, our channel hasn't been gr granted that Creative Commons license or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, so maybe but, um, he has something like that. Um, like I, I get well, it. the hilarious I, part, Luke, is we have Kyle I don't get it. on the podcast music. and us right. being like, hey, Kyle, we're going to use your music. You totally got it, dude. Anything I can do to help, you're more than welcome sure. to use my music. So we yeah. have that like on video in the podcast. We're like, You know what gets you shut down completely? Um, ACDC. Your video will get removed from YouTube. And Metallica. Well, Metallica, I see it. They, you know, they were part of the first Napster mm -hmm type yeah. thing um well i don't know i just played him a tech but it's just background music it's not me putting it in and i'll tell you something i was at elliot holst's gym in florida a couple years back five years ago and uh even the music he plays has to be made by some guy who's like making music and it's like really i can't train to pantera i can't have country going like i don't want i'm not gonna i'm not doing that so I, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I get it. It's the same sure. reason that if you're at a bar and the bar orders a fight, like a, a UFC fight, they're not paying the in-house, uh, you know, residential rate. They got to pay the commercial rate because they're going to generate business off of it. Now, I got you. If, now, is it the same? Like, first off, that fight is certainly drawing hundreds of people who would not otherwise come to your 
uh, dive bar and you're yeah. selling booze, chili and peanuts and booze. But like, it's an element of the business. Like, would people continue to train at your gym if you had zero music on? Maybe some people might peel out. So then these guys feel that they're entitled to a portion of your profits because they're contributing to the viability and success of your hey, business. Now, tell again, them to uh, say it to my face. If, say it to my face. If you're training, <laughs> if you're training uh, last time I trained at Gold's, everybody in there had on some form of ear, uh, like, oh, yeah. like ear, earbuds, So the ear gyms music. don't even pump the music. So, so they actually uh, don't play any music. And like, yeah. uh, here's the deal. I'd rather listen to no music than listen to bad music. Oh, so, I'm with you. Uh, like as I walked in there, like everybody's got on headphones. And uh, <laughs> when I walked in and uh, I saw the kid behind the counter, I was like, hey, uh, uh, no music. And he's like, no, we don't play music anymore. Everybody listens to their own stuff. I'm like, it's sounds true, perfect. I'd rather listen what to if you had, <clears throat> What if we were four of us training partners? How do I communicate with you? It's like, how do you hear? It takes away a lot of special stuff in the gym i think and i doubt diamond gym has gone that route but most people uh, at least when i was at gold's uh every person i saw was training by themselves so like nobody had a training partner and it was hilarious because this one dude like kept like asking people for a spot and of course people have their headphones on just walking past him and of course i don't he like sees me and he's like waves me over and i was like hey man you gonna kill yourself like like, what kind of spot do you need? Do you need, uh, like, a deadlift off your fucking chest? Or just like, the pinkies. Just yeah. the pinkies. And that's what he said. <laughs> just the pinkies. This is the, this is the, everything you got. Everything. This is the death sentence spot. The two-finger spot. Uh, dude, means I you're about pinkies. to die. Just the pinkies. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. Uh, what fuck. is that from? Uh, fucking the, Gold's Gym. No, no, no. Oh, the shit. movie was, um, hey, man, uh, I love you. Hey, I love you, I man. love you, man. Yeah. yeah. When he, he gets a personal trainer because he's looking for friends and it's just some yeah. squeaky voice. Takes bro. Him to the game. He's like, here we go. Here, whatever. Let's go. Well, and they're like, sit down. He's like, I fuck you. You'll sit down. He's like cursing at him with the high pitch voice. They start fighting. That movie was great, dude. That is a good movie. And uh, dude, back I, to fitness. Uh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> the scene when he goes in and his and his girl and her friends are in there and he goes in to like make them ice cream sundays and they're in there racking him, shit talking him. I I can I, and you guys have heard me mention it before, but there's probably only a few scenes that have made me more uncomfortable than that moment did. Like I've, I've never felt so more awful for uh, Paul Rudd. He's great That's at that, dude. Another another cringeworthy Paul Rudd scene is um, Wanderlust, <laughs> which is like a stretch that any of you dudes have seen this. But he gives himself like a pep talk in the mirror uh, about like, uh, long story short, similar deal. He's, his wife leaves him on this, some hippie commune and there's some smoke show hippie who like finds, it falls in love with him, but he's way too intimidated to like make the move on her. So then he's getting pumped up in the mirror and uh, he's like, you want a, you want a piece of this Dioc? You want some of the... the Dioc, you want to get down on, <laughs> on this big old dick? And he, it's just so weird, dude. Holy that crap, movie is that is so dude. funny. I never saw that, I, but never that seen shit that is funny. I'm laughing just, I could assume it in the movie is actually better. Look, Tex is crying. <laughs> yeah, because he's done it. I mean, Tex and I have done that. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that's that I showed NFL. that guy. Sweetheart. I showed him. Hey, you ready for the Dioc? <laughs> Sixty <laughs> percent of the time, John, it works every time. Oh, sixty percent. I think she showed like in the movie, she shows up and walks in on this pep talk, and it's just like so. Oh, awkward. that's embarrassing. Got to be on YouTube, dude. It's what ha- what happens? Well, don't tell. 
I'll, I'll, I will watch the movie. Wanderlust it's a romantic comedy. Well. I'll let you put the, you know, dude. Dude, uh, who, who is more cringe? Uh, like, who is more cringeworthy <laughs> parts, Paul Rudd or uh, Ben Stiller? Mm. Oh, man, the, like the first meet the parents, right? Like, oh, is, or something about Mary. Something about Mary. Movie. Oh, something, oh, something about Mary. That movie. I remember oh. watching that movie and people were dying laughing in the oh, audience. Yeah. Like, it was, and that was 98, something like that. Mm-hmm. 98, yeah, maybe. Fair, Dude, people Fairly were Brothers. dying. People were dying laughing in the movie theater. I was like, damn, this movie is killing me. It's so oh. funny. That shit was great. Dude, yeah, she's dude. like, oh, is that gel? And then she puts it in I know. Hair. He's like, what? He, he jerks off, then he's like, where is it? He's like looking <laughs> up at the ceiling. <laughs> You're going out with a loaded gun? Oh, oh cramping. Dude, uh, or, or when Matt, um, who's his, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon gets like the chiclet teeth, and he's like, like has the big like white <laughs> veneer chiclets. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Uh, like, and he's talking about Mongo. He's like how he tashed him up, and he's like, "Well, we just put him on a clothing line, let him run back and forth." You know, really Mongo, long. yeah. Oh, Mongo. dude, dude oh there's so god. many scenes in that movie where I was just like mortified. Like, oh my god, dude. this is awesome. And you know, here's the heartbreak. You know, that was 22 years ago. Seems like yesterday. In 22 years, I'm going to be 66. Mm-hmm. What the well, hell? Speaking of heartbreak, the Fairly Brothers did a movie with Ben Stiller called The Heartbreak Kid. Yeah. Pretty underrated. Yes, I've seen it. Yeah. Definitely worth a rewatch. All right. There, is there Noted. any? There should be movie Jerry questions Stiller. on the Power Athlete Block One uh, test. Oh, there, there should is. be a movie question. There, there, there is, is actually the, the your introduction. You get to say excellent who you are, where you're from, what you're looking to get out of the weekend, and then your favorite movie. And we pass what? or fill you right there. <laughs> yeah. What was your intern's favorite movie when he the recent intern? What was his? You mean uh, current intern movie? or uh, TC? Current. T- no, TC. <laughs> Who's current? Uh, um, I don't. He's I probably going to listen to this and be like, you assholes don't know anything about me. Who, well, TC? <laughs> TC no, or No, John. Or his, they were the Lord of the Rings. It was the Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings? Who, right. who uh, TC? With Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, it's because he looked like Frodo Baggins? I think it's spit an image. Huh? Does he train with you guys every morning? No, uh, T- this one- TC has since gone. Uh, you know the way of the buffalo. He's no longer here. Did he <laughs> exit gracefully yeah. or no? Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, he, he did. He, he did great, man. Yeah, he did fine. He 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 got his life changing moment and uh, went on. And he found himself. You know, John, uh, how how did I do? It's it's you know the last day here. And what do you think? You did fine. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. Guys like, holy shit, 90 days. I killed myself for these guys. 90 days? You, 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 nine no. months. Yeah, you nine did, months. You didn't die. But, and Z, you have to understand, that's probably the nicest thing that was ever said to him. So he walks away on a high note, pal. Johnny, with those compliments, that shit is funny. <laughs> what, John, what happened to your wife? She injured her ankle, what, working around the house or training? Uh, no, Kicking ass, dude. Uh, riding horses. So my next door neighbor oh. has uh, like a horse riding school and they, they, they jump, they do equestrian, like, oh. um, like hunter jumpers and like jumping. <clears throat> so my yeah. wife... Uh, um, so my wife and my neighbor uh, are become like real good friends. And then my wife used to ride a bunch when she was younger. So she rides every day. And the horse that uh, my neighbor asked her to ride was uh, like kind of like a rehab horse. Like a, I guess the person that 
she got the horse from uh, was pretty abusive to the horse. So like, I think like the horse Damn. had some emotional issues. Yep. So, so Kate goes out and is kind of like, you know, goes out and exercises and rides his horse and has created this bond. And so they were jumping. And as they went over the jump, uh, the horse decided like in midair to make a left turn off the, like and not go over the jump. Yeah. So my wife like came out of the saddle and as she came out of the saddle, her foot got hooked on the stirrup and she yeah. kind of like oh. went down, tumbled, landed on her head Jeez. and kind of blew out her ankle. So she's been hobbling now, around for a couple of weeks. Your wife grew up in Morristown or Moorestown? No, she grew up in Mendham. Oh, Mendham, which is, I'm pretty sure that's North, North, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, North yep. Jersey. Yeah. She was, she grew that's up in Mendham. Morris County, I think. Yeah. So I lived in Morristown. So that's up near Morristown. Yeah. My cousins, Mendham. cousins grew up there no. too. Yeah. So she's John, from, you grew, you lived in Morristown when you were playing for Philly. That's yeah. South. Yeah. Oh, south, yeah, like right south. off route 38 and 110. <clears throat> yep. I know that area. Not probably not too far from there's a, um, uh, air base there, McGuire. Mm. Probably sold. I thought I thought you were going to say Connie Max, which was the bar on 110, but you know that's how I remember (laughs) shit, like at the jug handle. I think that's 45 minutes away from where I am. So people always ask me these questions, and I'll be like, "Uh, "Where's that?" I'm like, "Uh, "Like, give me some landmarks, bars. Like, I'm I'm good with (laughs) bars or food places." Tell me the bar. Food places probably don't even exist. The ones that when Luke and I, Zach, Luke and I first visited you and hosted the seminar at your space. You took us out on on the shore to some. Some like oh leggets yeah fist and you, ironically I my ankle and Achilles were like I've been going through mystery injuries I was like man if I do this my Achilles might explode we just couldn't figure it out we went to leggets which is uh, first Ave beachfront and um, <clears throat> that place is like pizza bar food and uh, you know locals locals rule over there and then I remember when you and Bobby did a cert. Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, were in Philly. No, New York City, Staten Island. Were you in Staten Island? Okay. Yeah, unbreakable or unbroken or unsomething. Okay. One of those <laughs> CrossFit gyms. Unfuckwithable un- CrossFit. Yeah, everything was. <laughs> had those early days CrossFit is just crazy. So, they had some great yeah, remember, names on those like Dark Horse dude, CrossFit. Listen, yeah, un- listen to un- this. Unbreakable <laughs> Will CrossFit. Yes. Broke some of the names Mountain were like, CrossFit. Back, man. When uh, Bobby and uh, Tex came over, I went and picked up steaks from the local butcher. He passed away actually like two years ago. And this guy grew up, his dad was a butcher in um, New York City. So he grew up, you know, as a pre-teenager working with his dad. This guy had just like the best steaks. So whenever I see the tomahawk steaks, I'm like, I'm always, I'm always thinking of you guys when I'm in there. So, um, there was a CrossFit in my area called CrossFit Kill Fit. And I'm thinking to myself, who the fuck would sign up for that shit? Like, what does that mean? What's actually going to happen when I show up? CrossFit Kill, like, am I getting shot at? Like, what, what's actually happening here? So then this one dad, when our two kids were in um, uh, preschool together, <clears throat> he's like, yeah, go to this CrossFit Kill Fit. He's like, it's a great place. He's like, I, you know, uh, my son just goes kind of like hangs out in the corner and then like, and then uh, not long after, they get, like, busted for, like, a big drug thing. So oh, um, his oldest son, he didn't want to take his oldest son to my gym because this guy was giving him whatever deal. So he's like, man, I, just, I feel like an asshole. And I was just so dying to say, yeah, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, you wanted to go to CrossFit, kill fit. You got your little deal. And uh, now, like, that, that's the thing. But there's been some interesting crazy – I'm trying to think of what some other crazy names. One of them – you said like Dark Horse. I believe I, I've seen one like that. 
seen some crazy we used to have a game like and just make up crossfit names and then google it to see if it was real yeah well guys listen talking about crossfit the first time we did a podcast together my boy john here stood me up so he could referee a crossfit competition so he could referee kipping pull-ups and I hope referee. Cold. I don't. Yeah, you were a judge, ref- whatever the hell it was. You were invited I was, to. I don't. Maybe think you was... were a speaker. You were like a co-speaker at a regional or something. Oh, that was um. Yeah, I got uh. Oh yeah, I'll never forget it. Down to Florida. <laughs> uh, do you remember they they put that like had a competition in Florida and they flew me down? No, it wasn't like, Wadapalooza. I no, think you were at no. like a regional event with Dave Castro. Oh. It was I you think. and Rory McCracken, or wait, is that what you mean? Rory <laughs> or, or Rory? Um, yeah, like what uh, the heck McCracken. Is going? Yeah, Not I don't even. Mac what is going Roy. on with all of the CrossFit stuff now? All of this is—it's amazing. It, you know, we think about John. You and I exchanged emails early days CrossFit football, early days, and then we met when you were up in uh, Connecticut That's right. with Raf. Yep. And just think, like, not even super detailed. How much has stuff changed? Dude, that, that was, was probably eight was, years ago. Nine no, years that ago. was 2009. Uh, that was 2009, oh, okay. 2010. So that was 10, 11 years ago. I'm not sure if I lived in this town. So things have changed so much with the gym business, CrossFit in general. That to me was a booming time for kind of, uh, you didn't need to be as good. So you could just, people were opening up CrossFit gyms everywhere back then. Mm-hmm. That was a um, crazy time. It also felt like, and this is totally biased, and maybe this is a proximity thing too, but back then it kind of felt like there's a bit of purity to it. It was well-intended. And like as the time passed, I I can't think of any other industry that seems to be polluted by such suck bags. Like you hear a lot of stories about like what you're saying with CrossFit, KillFit, like a drug, like, you know, drug hub with infidelities, with people stealing. I mean, John, firsthand with, with your experience, like sure. what is it about this industry that just put, uh, like it's, racks, it's a tra- hurt bags? It's and, a transient it, industry, dude. Is it like, is it the same in, if Mortgage you were to open industry. a bakery or a bar or nah, restaurant? Like if we were more involved in that, would we be more privy to the same going on? Guys, back no, then, I, I it think, was so easy. I think you could open happens. up a storage shed, you know, and have – a couple hodgepodge pieces of used equipment now. And then I think, I think Greg Everett said it this way. He goes, now CrossFit wound up becoming kind of like corporate people who cashed in their 401k, you know, purchased 40 grand of rogue equipment. They're not really that into fitness. Now they're running the bit, you know, it's just different. Back in the day, it was like Pete, those CrossFit, of course, I'm sure we all connected with it because of how it was done. It was like, you're, you're training with a barbell, then a sandbag, you're sprinting there. It was just like a, there was some alpha to it. And then it started becoming so like, I don't know. I think everything, like a lot of nerd kind of activity, like everything was like, I don't know how to actually say it. I felt like it took the art and the beauty and the purity from it. Yeah, man. Like people don't know how to be themselves, man. I think this whole thing is going to is going to push out squeeze out a new experience out of this that is going to be a little bit more retro in that space Z. I think people are going to be willing to because of the restrictions that may be put on these commercial locations in terms of capacity. 
I think people are going to be more willing to do the 10, 10 to 20, like member total, like wow. out of their garage or out of a, a shed, just like that with very minimalist. And it becomes, you know, rather than being the polished rogue, Depends people like your us, neighbors. Yeah. People like us are just going to want to have a little hub where 10 to 15 of us all belong to. Maybe it's a co-op and maybe there's some coaching there. Like that's early days of kind of guys who started getting into the West side method. mm -hmm. They would rent storage sheds and it was, well, that was rack, a reverse hyper, a glued hand bench. It was, yep. It was Rob Wolf. Look, I started it out of my garage. Well, they, they were actually in a carport. Uh, the very first CrossFit, when like in the the first one that affiliated was started Robin. in his garage. Well, it was Dave Warner. I think it was like in their carport. Yeah. It wasn't even a garage, and Dave's I think they ended up with like seal. yeah, like a store. Like, I want to say like a you know, um, and I know because Dave's a seal. They probably had yep. a Conix box for to store the equipment, and then they would pull it out, and then I think they trained in a carport in Seattle. And that oh, was yeah. the Think first one. But, K-Star was, but it was also yeah. outside. Yeah, he was, he was in the corner of a sports basement. But I think what happens is is um, everybody had like a, a skill. I know Rob had done powerlifting and had done uh, like Muay Thai and some capoeira. And then I know Dave, um, you know, was a SEAL and lifted weights. And I think what it was was you <clears> ended up kind of creating this little collective of people and that everybody yep. had kind of their skill that they would teach. And that person would kind of – that guy would coach Early his skill. Jim Jones. Yeah. And, Jones uh, early days. Everybody was well, like, yeah. you know, uh, had some something to contribute, and then uh, all of a and sudden, that's beautiful. Yeah. That is like that's your own fight club, you know. Now look, Mark Twight is not even is Jim Jones even his anymore? I mean, that's that that would be like underground strength. Jim is not mine. My wife is now running it, or I don't. It's like that's weird. <laughs> It's weird, man. Like, I don't know. I've been unplugged from Jim Jones for a while. I know that Bobby, so Bobby Maximus left there to do his own thing. Didn't he left so or they he got rid um, of him? Who knows? I, I, did I think the way yeah. that, and uh, don't quote me on this, but I think there was a bit of a, like a, a power struggle. And I think uh, like maybe it was like, I think Lisa was uh, Mark's wife. I think there was some power struggle. And I think, uh, you know, I don't quote me on this, but I think Bobby went for like, Hey, you know, let's oust Mark and, you know, I'll be king of the castle. And then I think that kind of turned around on him. And I know Mark has mm-hmm. a bunch of public eviscerations, very Greg Glassman, uh, yes. you know, sword to the throat, you know, nobody will remember your <clears throat> name type of shit. So, yeah, but, look, I think Jim's need to get back to, I mean, I we're going to have a very different thing, go, not very different at my own gym, but like we've got the spray gun. I'm going to have to check your forehead temperature why because that's what people want to see Mm -hmm. but number one i tell you what i've always been a clean freak i am always on it myself on it with the coaches but now it has to be even more so uh but one thing i'll tell you that's always been and you guys obviously know this is when you have another source of income like our online businesses somebody reached out to me the team wants he, they're a, a local team. They want to train, but they're, the parents want to go to this other guy 20 minutes away because he created a cheaper package deal, paying full through the booster club. And I was like, look, man, I'm not going to make any deals or discounts for people I've never trained. I'm taking care of the people who have stuck with me since we've been shut down. So if you're like, you want to bring your kids here, but the parents don't want to do it, They'll never survive in my place because they don't want to be here. 
It's fucking hard. And some mm-hmm. people leave because it's hard. Not because, oh, they didn't check my forehead temperature. You know, I'm still living what I was oh, like building badasses. That's it, man. And, you know, who's I think struggled a lot were these gyms that did not have any outside source of income other than membership. Because this might happen again. I know, I think you guys said it in the previous podcast, like there might have to be another closure if another wave of this hits in the fall. There's a lot of unknown shit going on. And uh, people can't, like you were saying, training in garages. You know, the people trying to do that now, their neighbors are calling the cops on them. Yeah, we had that. And that's where when you were. Yeah, when I lived in the very first Balboa was in my downstairs in my loft. And um, uh, our neighbor, the guy across the street, didn't like seeing people running around, coming, coming and going. And they were commercial places. And the guy just complained and complained. I ended up getting a permit. Commercial places will complain. Yeah. And then uh, your own. And then our second place, same deal. We got uh, we ended up moving because our neighbors, uh, employees didn't like seeing people exercising outside while they were on their smoke breaks. It made them feel bad about themselves. Were those the guys that we'd always hear, like the, the diesel trucks driving by? Yeah, there was. Yeah, they were just it, it was a bad who deal. Would, first of all, who would call the cops on jacked up dudes like, you know, you're going to get uh, fucked up. It like, was, you know, I wouldn't want to look those. I'd be like, man, I just called the cops on that six, six, two eighty guy. Well, <laughs> I think well, I'm going to die. I would never do the that. The cops we were fine with. The problem is they kept calling our <laughs> landlord. And then I, and the hilarious part is, is the guy that owned the complex, his daughter was a volleyball player that trained with us. Mm. And so like, you know, I had like meetings with him and uh, he was a cool cat. And he's like, dude, he's yeah. like, he's like, my daughter loves the place, but he's like, I can't deal with these fucking people. So he, we ended up moving. Like, Why wouldn't he just tell those people, guys, they're running. They're not bothering you. And look, my, I'm in the same boat. I'm in a place uh, seven years and a few months now, and it was vacant for a long time, minus this one guy. And this one guy's not really all there emotionally and mentally. And so uh, I opened up loud music. Then the guy next to him opened up who was working on like off-road vehicles, like Jeeps and diesel trucks. You know, he's like one of you guys. And the guy started flipping the F out and, uh, you know, taking steel pipes, hitting them against the wall, hitting here until I, until I said something to him. And I saw him outside, said something to him and flipped out on him. And then he chilled out for quite a while. But it's like the land, I told the landlord, like, man, I'm, this guy's going to hit somebody with like a steel pipe. He's going nuts. But the landlord's like, all right, you could leave. And I was like, all right, like that, like people are weird, man. That's, you've done the best thing, John. You bought the land, you got your own thing and that's where it needs to be. Yeah, no, I mean, the there's, there's nobody complaining. I mean, and, and if they do, they, uh, they can go fuck themselves. I mean, that's big. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, our, our one neighbor has uh, like 50 horses and she yep. like, you know, she loves seeing us. And then our other neighbor who's deaf and blind, I think now has like, ter- guy, like right? pterodactyls that fucking go crazy mm-hmm. every day. And like he, I, I, haven't, I haven't asked him. We built the What's building. What's a pterodactyl? A crow? A uh, no, they're crow? like uh, huge macaw birds. Like he has huge macaws, like oh, these big. He owns yeah, he's his? got like twenty macaw birds in a cage, and around oh, like dinner cage? time and breakfast time, these things make so much noise. They sound like pterodactyls. John, so the cage is kind of an understatement. I mean, that thing is like, it's like a silo. Oh, it's a bird silo. It's a huge enclosure. Uh, no, that silo is where he has the lemur monkeys. Oh, uh, that yes, monkeys. He's, Obviously, he's kind of a weird cat, man. Um, Texas, I guess, with your weather, it allows. So much of like these animals, I think, um, 
There's no, more, I'm connected with uh, Melanie Latrell and Marcus Latrell. Yeah, they yeah, have. There's like more a African safari. lions in Texas than there are in Africa. Who? Gira- they've got giraffes yeah. there. I think I heard, I saw it on one of the YouTube clips. I didn't watch it. Joe Rogan was talking with that comedian, Brian Cowan, that he's thinking of moving to Texas. Who knows if he ever will? <clears throat> Probably because of, you know, being with the. Uh, entertainment industry being close to how far are you guys from vegas less than two hours flight oh uh, probably I think it's less than two hours it's, it's gotta be two hours know. because it's, it's like it's 90 three, minutes to phoenix well it's three and a half hours to la or three hours to la three and a half hours so it'd probably be two a little over two hours to vegas of it yeah so it's an so hour i wonder if he just stays there for the proximity of all that stuff but it's uh you're doing man you're doing the right thing because Neighbor, neighbors will will t- shut you down, man. That's a shame too. No, we dealt with it. I mean, we we dealt with it at every place we went. I mean, I, I still laugh. I yeah. remember when uh, Amanda and Chelsea were trying to do sprints, and they mm-hmm. ran out the door, and one of them ran right in the side of that guy's van and bounced off. And then the dude came down and like called the like called the landlord and was like uh, like came down, and then uh, Chelsea and Amanda tried to fight him, and they were going to beat his old man's ass. And I like come out, and I'm like. <laughs> What's going on? They're like, she, he's like, she ran into my car. She's like, he hit me. I'm going to beat his ass. I'm like, oh, God, this isn't going well. We're getting out of here. <laughs> Luke's like, you're never going to believe this. I'm like, yeah. lay it on me. And even if you own your building, you have to just got to be on your own property. Because if you're anywhere near people, look, here's a, this is what I always think. The people that complain, I always say, they never squatted. They've never squatted heavy. They've never almost died under the barbell. And so everything in life bothers them. They're, they're perturbed by everything because they've never been uncomfortable, you know? So they need something to complain about. And not because, just uncomfortable, but like voluntarily yeah. uncomfortable. Approached Dude, it a long, I, I long, long way to like that moment. Comfort is the enemy. When you start getting comfortable and spoiled in things then everything sets you off. You're bothered by, oh, the sun or the weather and this, and you just cry about everything. And you know what's interesting, guys, is, so you guys were talking in the last episode about how would you be training kids right now? You know, the one mom said, oh, I don't have any gym equipment. You know, we did not do any Zoom classes. I did one Zoom meeting with our athletes, no Zoom classes, because I said, since day one, I've told you guys, everybody should have one kettlebell. You should have some sort of equipment at home because if you're only training when a coach tells you Mm. when to do it, how to do it, how high to jump, you're not going to be a champion. You need to be able to do stuff on your own. That's number one. Number two, we've been training for this. I've trained you guys to do calisthenics at the parks. Then the parks get shut down. I've trained you guys to sprint through the streets to push cars and push trucks. If you need me to get on a Zoom call to do that, then you will not win when it really counts. And so what we did is I simply continued posting our workouts. We use Wattify. They had a, a body weight only workout and then they had a weights option. Like people, kids would text me what they had. Some kids would have two pairs of dumbbells. I got 20s and 40s. Some kids had those old, you know, flimsy benches from Sears uh, and standard plates. That was actually like a common thing. A lot of kids had benches with standard bars, but nothing to squat with. So, okay, now we're going to make a sandbag. Here's a million YouTube videos on how to make a sandbag. Got like, so I trained them 
you're either going to quit now or you're going to find a way to make it happen. And if you're quitting and coming up with excuses, then you don't, you don't belong here. I don't want your money. That's why I always say, like, I'll burn this place down before I allow that bullshit to happen. So let's say a kid has got to prepare for college. There's actually a kid in my area. And this town has not been like the town that has impressed me with work ethic. And this kid, I said, dude, you're like me. You've made, you're making my day here. He's a senior. Uh, going to go to uh, a D1 school, uh, Bryant, up in Rhode Island. <clears throat> and I saw it. Like he told me he went to uh, Pennsylvania, drove to Pennsylvania, bought two kegs and a Husafel stone. Then he bought something else, flipped it, bought himself a squat rack. I see him training in his driveway. He got a pair of 100-pound dumbbells. He's doing floor presses on the ground. I said, dude, that's what it's about. You're going to show up at college ready to go. And the coaches are going to love, love you for that. It's a football player. He's a, he's a lineman. Nice. And I'm like, dude, what this may, he goes, I am never going back to these Globo gyms or whatever he called it. He goes, I'm never going back to these other gyms. He's like training in my garage and in my driveway and in my backyard has been the best. And he's got like a pickup truck, might be a Chevy Ford. I said, you know, three days a week, bro, shut the engine off, put it in neutral, get to an empty parking lot, push it three to five sets, you know, push that truck. And I always tell people, I go, if you don't know anything, you are, ironically, you know, two things, you know, push-ups and sprints, you know, push-ups and sprints. Can you sprint? Can you do your own agility work? Can you bang out all these different types of push-ups from feet elevated to clapping push-ups to slow motion push-ups to high rep push-ups, you know, and then the third thing, push a car, push a truck. You could get pretty damn strong doing those things. But we're really in a strange place where kids cannot do stuff unless they've got their training partners. I'm not training with my 20 teammates. I'm not with this, but you have to be able to go through these times. Um, like when was the NFL lockout? 08, 09? When was that? Yeah, that was 09, 09. Uh, so yeah, 09, I got a couple of buddies, couple of buddies who are coaching in the NFL. And uh, they tell me that a good amount of these guys have no equipment at home. Yeah. They have nothing, not so, even a pair of dumbbells. So like I, I always had dumbbells at home, um, but man, I didn't have a home gym. As mentioned in your latest yeah. article, I uh, get 20 inches biceps in five weeks. Well, I, I measured today <laughs> at a cold 18 and three quarters, just shy of 19. So I'm, I'm, the 20 inch arms are totally in my work in five weeks. Um, but, uh, well, Raphael, so when I lived in Florida, we didn't, uh, well, Raphael had a private, his own place. So that wasn't much of an issue, but I still what had dumbbells. Have? What did he have? A garage? He had a warehouse. He had, he had and, a, and didn't he just store gear underneath Tampa, University of Tampa's hurt, uh, yeah, bleachers? So he had bleachers and then we went into the weight room and then they kicked him out of the, the weight room. Was he in the NFL at the time? Was no. he coaching in uh, the NFL at the time? Uh, was he his? was an assistant with, uh, Tampa Bay, but this is when he was trained at UT. So he was UT strength coach. And then uh, they redid the weight room, so they put us in, like, a warehouse that was, like, a storage warehouse. So we moved all the equipment in there. No AC, and the roof had um, uh, skylights. So it was, like, probably about 125 degrees in that place. In Tampa. In Tampa. So 100% humidity. Yeah. It, it was absolutely savage. People would come train with us, and, like, 20 minutes into the warm-up, they would just be dead. And, I, we, and we'd be, yeah. like, I, I remember when I went back to Philly, we were, like, I showed up, and it felt like I was on vacation. The weather was so nice. <laughs> 
But um, and then when I I lived in Kansas City, I always had dumbbells and just a little bit like just some stuff to do curls or mess were around. Were you in a condo when you were in Kansas City? Is no, that why you just had dumbbells I had a house or? and uh, but like there like the facility was always pretty close. When I lived in Philly downtown, uh, I lived in a little apartment, but I had there was a gym that was like within like you know, walking also, distance. You from the beginning had a coach, right? Didn't you immediately after you had your uh, patella? Uh, rupture didn't you immediately afterwards start training with Roth? so kind of this no so so when I had uh, when I ruptured my patella uh, they didn't clear me to leave so that's when I basically trained I, I would get up in the morning do rehab and then I would train with Wolfie and Canavy and then I would eat and we would lift some weights again I would go home take a nap and then I would go to this crunch gym which was like probably like I, like two blocks and it was up on Walnut Street and I would go bang weights so I would train three times a day weights you know, um, you told me Canavy's with the uh, Lions. Yeah, Detroit. Oh, man. One of the kids I trained, his dad was there. But now his dad is with uh, Bengals. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, what the heck's their uh, last one? My great, great family. I feel the dad used to coach at uh, Temple and then um, Miami. Oh, Golden. How golden. I think he's a lineman coach. Hmm. No, I don't know. Hey, Z, I go, bro. To, I want to go back to. Um, Let's do it. The 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 culture you set that for your kids that if they're not willing to do the work on their own, one, two, three days a week. I remember you talking about that on yeah. a previous episode. Okay. Um, that they're not gonna like that. They're that independence is required to make it right. When when yeah. did that? When did that begin, and how did you combat the obvious, the obvious response to this? Would be like, well, I'm paying you to do this, dude. Yeah, I'm not paying yeah, you. Nobody responds. You know where I learned it was my senior year in high school. A kid on my team, he had Dan Gable VHS Competitor Supreme. So Dan Gable was the legendary wrestler and wrestling coach from Iowa, and Dan Gable won the Olympics without getting a point scored on him, and. This uh, competitor supreme was the behind the scenes of him training the Iowa Hawkeyes. And the constant theme that he kept, you know, like rehashing was outwork the competition. He didn't say how to do it. So, you know, my mistake back then was I'd every other night in season, I'm running a 5K or five miles, you know, so two and a half hour practice, then go home, do more conditioning, no strength work. You know, you just, you thought you're supposed to run. But bottom line is you spoke about work being a worker and from the beginning, you know, training athletes out of my garage, I used to give them little things to work on. So if they were struggling on pushups, I was like, look, man, when you're not here, just practice pushups, wake up, wake up, bang them out after school, bang out another set before you go to bed, bang them out again. If you do 10 at each, that's 30 a day, 150 a week, that's 600 in a month, that's 7,200 in a year. You see those math skills, Luke, I'm, I'm blowing your brain up here. So I always looked at how little things can add up. And then, you know, if I can recall, there's always, it always kind of happens once every six months, once a year, there's a kid who's just not getting better at pushups. And I remember this kid was a heavier kid, nice kid, great kid, but he could not do a pushup on the floor. I always had to put his hands up on the bench and he may have been a seventh grader. Maybe he was an eighth grader. And I said to him, I go, dude, you don't need a strength coach to get better at push-ups. In fact, 
you should be getting it better at push-ups, but you don't want it. And see, I remember when I got pissed off as a young kid, arm wrestling friends in the neighborhood, and I lost to everybody. So I go home that night. It's a summer night. And I said to myself, when I could do 20 push-ups, I'll win an arm wrestling match. I was pissed off. I was embarrassed. And so I did two push-ups that night. That was my max. <laughs> max out on push-ups. Two reps. And I said, every day I'll just add one rep. I did three the next morning. And then in the afternoon, I was like, I'm not going to wait for tomorrow. I'm going to do four right now. Then at night, I did five, six in the morning, seven in the afternoon, eight at night. A week later, I do 20 push-ups. And I, and I learned that when you want something so badly that the inner drive, your emotional desire can actually elicit a strength response. So you guys also said in a recent you know, podcast, you know, what about a 16-year-old who just, he's not into it. And John's like, he might be so into it that he can't really find kind of like sometimes a middle ground or sometimes like he's just not that diehard about it yet. He's, he's a 16 year old who doesn't know shit. uh, You've seen this with your kids. Like uh, you've seen it with your kids. kids. Um, Like my daughters, for example, like uh, I had them in competitive swim early on and they absolutely hated it. And then since, you know, since the, you know, the COVID deal, everything we've been swimming every day. And like we race all the time in the pool. So I'm like, okay, I'll race you to the other side. Who can hold their breath along? So he turned into all these games and dude, they are really good swimmers. And I told him, I'm like, I think you guys should at least just go try out for the swim team. Go try it again and see if you can roll up the other kids. And they were like, well, we weren't good at it before, but maybe we weren't, or we didn't really like it before, but maybe we didn't like it because we weren't good at it. And we feel like we're better now. And I'm like, Hey, if that's your rationale, but at least go out and like, at least try it once, like go for a tryout, go do something because you guys are really good swimmers and, uh, swimmers have been some of the toughest athletes yeah. I've worked with because they're in the water 6am. They're getting in cold water. They've just been some of the toughest athletes I've worked with and naturally strong. I have like, well, it's, it's, it's from the volume of the water. I mean, the amount of yeah. volume these kids handle. So I think it does some really interesting thing for metabolic pathways. Put on some serious muscle. The, the swimmers I've trained have had like tremendous physiques. One we trained, she swims for uh, West Point, and ironically, her brother is going to go to Naval Academy. <laughs> so the two are like opposite. Another kid we trained. I remember we had reduced his training from three days a week to twice to once a week. He was getting so big. I'll have to. If you look up underground strength swimmer, you might see this photo of Mike Skibnuski. He's like standing. He looks like a bodybuilder. And then all these other kids look like stick figures. He got, was putting on so much muscle. And um, he got uh, into Penn State to swim. He won the, the YMCA Nationals, the 50-meter fly, butterfly. But then he got to college, and the kids told me he met a girl, and that's it. And so, you know, this I'm a very big – I'm very intrigued with how the mind can drive the body in many factors, meaning, you know, John, you believed in the training when you were with Todd Rice, it like sold you. And so your body probably took to it more, but then, you know, he didn't believe in benching. So if he would have programmed it, he wouldn't have even programmed it properly. But then there's kids that athletes, they don't believe in lifting. And if they have to lift under your you know, guidance, your body will not produce results because their mind literally could put up a roadblock to, I don't know if it's the mind muscle connection, 
But, um, you know, there's two kids that visit me. Um, they were both D1 wrestlers. One was an All-American. The other one was almost an All-American. He beat an All-American during the season pretty pretty badly, too. And he comes and trains quite often. And he's like, he's like I'm, I just want to admit that I wasn't – I didn't follow what you told me. And I, if I would have listened to you, I probably could have been an All-American. I said, you know what, dude? Sometimes at your age, like you guys just don't believe in certain things or they don't want to wake up early. And there's these things that stop them from doing the training. And the one kid who became an All-American, he stopped training with me when I was at the team with Rutgers. He may not have trained for the last six, seven weeks of the season with me. He's like, I don't need that. That's what he told the coaches. (laughs) He did not want to wake up early. He would have been the kid where I would have had to catch him right before practice or right after and say, hey, do 50 dips and then you're done. Or do 25 total pull-ups, then you're done. Or uh, this is 185, do five sets of two. You know, every 30 seconds, hit two reps, done. That's what he would have needed. So some of these younger kids, some of them are lazy. I've seen it. um, They don't want to – they don't care to win. uh, And others – I think something that uh, that kind of gets lost a little bit, and I was kind of as you're talking about it, I keep thinking like, um, like I think you need something more external than just, hey, I'm I'm training to to try to be a better swimmer or whatnot, because I don't think a kid can yes. naturally wrap their head around that. Like I Very I went true. to lift weights and I knew that like big strong dudes were better at football than the guys that weren't big and strong. So, and mm-hmm. I knew that there were a lot of big strong dudes in the weight room and I didn't really see any big strong dudes that weren't in the weight room. So yep. I figured like the more I hang out in there, I'll be a big strong dude. But I was more into, I wanted to be a big strong dude. Like I wanted to be jacked. I wanted to be strong. I, yes. I liked the physical appearance. I liked the strength. I liked, I, I liked everything that went with it because my Think brothers about- were all big and strong. And I remember feeling yeah. like I was fucking had a pencil neck and I didn't want to have a yes. pencil neck. So like that little bit. Well, of they like, embarrassed you. Well, Your brothers all the time. embarrassed you and you got pissed off for greatness. Look, you got it. That, that's what happens. You know, you have to get to a point where you're tired of losing. You're getting beat up in the neighborhood. Your brothers are uh, emotionally abusing you. Um, you're tired of sitting on the bench. When, when kids come to me, those undersized wrestlers, the father is tired of being embarrassed watching his son lose over and over. And it's so fucking painful for them that they're like, that's it. We're going to fucking eat steak and eggs for breakfast. We're going to fucking have oatmeal every day. We're going to have steak and eggs for dinner. And you're going to this place. You And and look, I've seen kids train side by side for two years. One kid just takes off on a whole nother level. The other kid just stays average. Because some kids, see, you're almost kind of mentioning like Louis Sims talks about who is your hero. These guys weren't necessarily your heroes, but you admired them. I think back to when I was a kid, you know, I would watch The Incredible Hulk. Lou Ferrigno was just smashing shit. He was jacked. Or watching Tarzan even as a kid, you know, the original Tarzan. Swimming, climbing, you know, climbing the tree branches. And so you're right. Some kids today, they want to get jacked. They want it. They love it. They get fired up. The kids that I was training at this high school, after four months, school closed. I saw them starting to buy in at that, like really that two month mark when you started seeing traps coming out of somebody's shirt, arms, stretching sleeves, legs, stretching shorts. And then teammates started seeing, look at this, look at my teammate. 
starting to get jacked. Look at the veins in his arms. And, and you know, even with that stuff, I paid attention to a couple of things. When I first got to the school, guys, I didn't have a schedule. You know, it was the end of fall. It was playoffs. So we didn't want to start training a team who are going into playoffs and all of a sudden they're sore and can't move their legs. So I would go to the weight room and there's kids training. And I'd say, uh, hey, guys, the wrestling team jumped right on board. Boom. Same thing with the football players. They also got right on board. But then there was the other athletes. There was hockey, baseball. And I remember seeing these kids. I was like, guys, I'm about to train the wrestling team. What team are you guys with? We're with this team, that team. You guys want to jump in? No, nah, I'm on my own program. And I was like, holy hell. Did this kid just say he doesn't want to train with me? I'm, I'm the strength coach here. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe he is on a good program. Maybe he's watched enough good YouTube videos or Instagram videos where he knows what he's doing. So I watched the kids they do some shitty benching. They're squirming. The weights are almost falling off. They don't clamp anything up. They almost die under the bar. Then they curl for like 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Nice. So I was like, all right, that's what these kids want. Chest and biceps. That's how the gym was set up, benching and curling. So every workout I made sure they got curls in and then I would sneak. And then I did everything we needed to do. But I knew that if these guys could get arm pump, I could get them to buy in. So it was like on a Friday, it would be like, guys, you got to do a hundred reps of curls and a hundred reps of tricep work. You know, the triceps could be the band pushdowns. It could be the lying extensions said, you guys could do five sets of 20. You could do different curls every set, but like I made sure I got them in and then the workout would end and they had already been doing hill sprints with me. We didn't have a super steep hill outside, but it was a nice grade. It was a good, like 15, 20% incline. So we would do sprints outside and uh, I'd be like, guys, soccer team is about to come in. I'm leaving it up to you. If you want to go out and organize hill sprints, all I'm saying is train as hard as you want to win. It's up to you. I'm not telling you to do it or not. I'm saying train as hard as you want to win. So I learned to get into their mind to like Jedi mind trick them into wanting to do the work, taking pride in doing the work or, Hey, I don't want four leaders. I want all of you to be a leader. Why don't we get some freshmen to organize who's doing the sprints outside, not just, not just the seniors. And I just remember it was like brick by brick building these kids up. But, you know, then there's the flip side. There's kids who simply don't want it. They're, they're going to come up with a million excuses for why they can't lift. And here, here's the truth. Lifting is fucking hard when done correctly. Okay. Cause when we're lifting, it's a pretty aggressive protocol. It's a lot of supersets. It's a lot of doing little things in between the big things. You're spotting, then you're squatting, then you're jumping. If you're not good at push-ups or pull-ups, that's what you're working on. If you're a bit slouched, you've got pull-aparts. If there's a line, now you're doing a side plank. Boom, you're back into it. Now you're a spotter again. Are those weights clamped up? Did you use that weight before? You know, Did you get the reps that I said? There's a lot to it. It's easier to go to retro fitness with your boys and jerk around in between sets and, and do one set and rest five minutes, you know? And so I, I'm not the kind of coach that's going to be like, Oh, he's, you know, he don't care. I'm not the kind that's going to be like, all right, he don't care. I'm lost forever. I'm going to see him in the hallway. I'm going to be like, dude, let's get in. Let's get in. You're part of the team. The team needs you. And then I'll tell the other kids, guys, you got to get Luke. You got to get John. Hey, talk to Tex. 
Tex was in for three weeks. I haven't seen him for two weeks. You know what I do then? Sounds about right. (laughs) Then I go to the cafeteria. Now I start looking for kids. Now I start looking at lunch. Oh, he's got one sandwich. And then the other kids will pull my line. They'll be like, coach, he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. You know, that's what we say. So I just found that the mind has been the most integral thing. And John, you've seen this. Maybe not, you know, because you've seen the the genetic freaks in the NFL, but think back to college. Even some of the guys in college, they're so naturally talented, but they may have partied a lot. They may have kind of slacked and they still thrived. And so sometimes those guys are not your best example, but sometimes the wrong kids see that. And they're like, well, if John Smith over here can smoke pot, you know, on a weeknight and still, you know, score touchdowns, maybe I should be doing see, that. Uh, and but, so it's, but that, yeah. Zach, that, that's kind of where I was kind of deviating is like, I think for kids, they have a hard time drawing the, drawing the conclusion that like, Hey, what I do here results in my increased performance. Cause they see people that are good that don't do it. Uh, like yeah. I, I was thinking when I was it either had to be sixth or seventh or eighth grade when I played baseball, because uh, I didn't play baseball in high school, one of my coaches was this guy named Gerald Peak, and uh, Mr. Peak's son was on my team. I think Gerald was like a six, like five fifty, six hundred pound raw bencher. Uh, I think he was a six hundred plus in a single ply, um, and he was a power lifter. And this dude As would show up. Oh, the uh, father was. Yeah, so, so the dad, uh, who's one of our baseball coaches. So this dude would show up, and I remember he wore glasses, had a beard, and would wear, like, a baseball hat, but he would wear collared shirts because he was in construction, like a, constru- like a foreman would wear, like, a collared kind of polo shirt. And he the traps. dude's fucking chest, like, he couldn't, buck, uh, like, snap the yes. buttons. And the right. shirt, like, sat up on his shoulders. Yep. And uh, I watched him one time get mad at us in practice, and he picked up a bat, a wooden <laughs> bat, and did this and snapped it like a toothpick. And, uh, like, it, like seeing how like physically impressive this dude was, yeah. I remember thinking like, man, like, like, and then my, my older brothers were all big and strong. And I remember going out, my older brother was, um, my older brother, Rob was, he's a little taller than me. He's like maybe six, six and a half, but he was 300 pounds. And I remember like, I was pretty young. I went out there and I watched him lift weights and, uh, they had a strength coach, this dude named Avalos, who was a power lifter like a 180 guy but dude this guy was a 700 pound squatter and i watched this guy lift weights and i just remember seeing the poundages and it it was like more than more than lifting weights to play football i was more like i want to be able to move heavy weights and i want to look like i move heavy weights and be strong and then i would go in and i would lift weights and as i got stronger i was better at football so it was like oh so like my goal wasn't just to be good at football i just wanted to look like a fucking badass look these kids, they want to have big chest. They want to be ripped. So I would always say, you know, the, the beach by us is like with like all the young kids go. I'm like, hey, guys, um, <laughs> Belmar up front, party up front, business in the back. <laughs> so I'd be like, I would tell them like in the back, that's when we're deadlifting. That's when we're doing our farmer walks. That's when we're rowing heavy. And then I'd be like talking about like getting those curls. You're finding what gets them excited. And in a group setting, I turn it into a party. It's a weightlifting party. Yeah, Think about that. But you're that. also, dude, you, you also train and you're pretty intense. Like, yeah. uh, I would like kind of random. I got invited to a Facebook page for alumni from my high school, which is, I shouldn't have joined. But um, <laughs> I uh, like one of my buddies who I played football with in high school, yeah. like sent me an invite. So I joined. And they showed like a picture. We had a strength coach, this guy named Jim Rundell, and he was like a probably dude in his late 60s. Uh, 
he was the nicest old man in the world. He didn't know fuck all about training and people were like talking about him. <laughs> and I actually said, I'm like, he was a sweet old man, but he didn't know shit yep. about training. And right, people right. were like, what? Like upset about it. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm telling you this from like where I stand today. Do you know, John. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like people were like, he was, I, and I even said to one of my, one of the guys who was a year older than me, who uh, played D line with me. Um, he was like, no, no, no. He knew. I was like, I'm telling you, bro. He didn't know what he was fucking talking about. The shit that he told us was wrong. And if it was right, I wouldn't have trained at Zangus's place. So we would go in in that, in that period and just fucking do whatever he wanted us to do. And then we would leave and go lift weights because we didn't want to be bad guys. And like, you know, it was bad for the team environment. If you like, oh, I got my own program. We didn't do yes. that shit. But we were like, all right, we'll just do extra workouts. This guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. You know, when I hear music like this, I can't help but think about every cheesy 80s action movie ever. There's just something so great about how clearly fake every fight scene and workout montage is. And what's funny is the approach of creating sexy cut-ups of bullshit workouts with highly questionable application actually exists outside 80s movies and is more prevalent than ever. Well, like terrible 80s movies, there's so much training garbage out there to sort through these days. And while entertaining, it's scary to think that some people are actually falling for it. Think of the pyrotechnics in Commando or the -the over-the-top use of body oil in the movie Over the Top. Is it possible that they're trying to distract us from the completely unrealistic plotline? Kind of like a sexy-looking program with virtually no performance transfer? This is exactly why Power Athlete has been battling the bullshit for over a decade. The research, testing, and retesting that the coaches at Power Athlete HQ have done to create athletic training programs like Field Strong and Bedrock is unparalleled. We chose to further refine our templates to create Grindstone, Jack Street, Lean Enable, and Hammer because we know that specific goals require specific stimuli. Okay, here's where the shameless plug comes in. A lot of work goes into developing the absolute best program and user experience possible. Just ask our partners at Train Heroic, who have been with us every step of the way and are equally dedicated to empowering your performance as we are. They are relentless when it comes to ensuring that your journey to self-improvement is propelled by the absolute best technology. When you join a Power Athlete program on Train Heroic, the first thing you should do is take a giant sigh of relief. Seriously, because now you're in the hands of founder and 10-year NFL veteran John Wellborn and his team of world-class coaches. And for less than a dollar a day, you've just become part of a community of like-minded folks who all want the same thing, performance. And if this whole 80s movie metaphor thing makes no sense to you because you were born after 1990, simply substitute Star Wars episodes 1 through 3. Who has the time or the patience for an all-show, no-go imposter program? Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to empower your performance today. Now back to the show. I tell you, though, it's not – it's very interesting. Like our football coach said to them, he goes, guys, going elsewhere is not your – that's not what we do. This is what we do. And then you want to do something else? That's fine. And one of the former coaches, young kid, he opened up his own like speed school. He does a lot of the speed and agility. And those kids get really sold on that stuff. But I've always said, if I was running speed and agility stuff, I'm not doing it as a standalone. You have to squat and pull and sprint with the sleds and you got to press and pull weights. But they, it's this. And here's what else was a struggle for these kids. 
we did not touch a barbell for about two months when I got there. They didn't bench, they didn't back squat because they could not demonstrate a proper body weight squat. And then if you wanted to bench, you had to do, I think if you weighed under 175, I said you had to do the 50s for 10. If you were over 175, you had to bench the 75s for 10. If you want to put a bar on your back, um, 100-pound goblet squat for 10 reps. If you're over 200, if you're under 200, 75-pound goblet squat for 10 reps. You know, calves, touching hamstrings. You got to get low. And so I'd see a real skinny kid go to bench. And I'd say, can you bench the 50s for 10? I think so. I go, we ain't thinking, bro. We're knowing. You either can or you can't. Show me right now. Okay. Boom. Gets like three reps. Don't touch the bar. You want to bench, then you get 10 reps with that. And I said, look, I would always tell him, look, guys, you could MF me up and down the street behind my back all you want. So don't yes, sir, me when we're in here. I would tell them things like, guys, here's the beauty of the weight room. The weight room doesn't care how fancy your mom's car is. It doesn't care about the bank account, the money in your bank account. It rewards the hardest workers. So I always gave like a good pre-lift speech, another speech. Maybe if I felt they needed a speech in the middle, I did it. And then I would sometimes say shit like this. I'd be like, guys, I remember we were squatting and guys were not squatting all the way down. Go lighter. Loop back around. Did you go lighter? I told you to go lighter. You didn't go lighter. I shut off the mute and said, guys, bring it in. Bring it in. Guys, I'm not going to mention names. But his name rhymes with John Wellborn. And I, w- I saw John squat 225 halfway. And then text, do we squat halfway? No, coach, no, we sir. don't. Okay, well, I saw a kid whose name rhymes with John Wellborn. I'm not mentioning names. And he squatted halfway. And I told him, go lighter. I looped back around. He did not go lighter. I go, is that good listening? I go, if you can't be coachable, I can't help you. I go, so here's the deal, guys. Strip the bars. Nobody squats today. You're doing goblet squats. And I'm not, and you guys can talk to each other about doing things great, doing things the right way. I'm not going to tell you to do that anymore. And even like early in the season, when I got there, I had to kick a kid out. I didn't kick him out for the full workout, but he was talking every time I was talking. He came in like, uh, kicked a kid's bar when he was deadlifting. I was like, get out, you're out. And I told him, I go, I will never kick somebody out of here again. But I said, you guys better talk to that kid better talk to them. And, but I would always do things. If somebody didn't do something right, I didn't like rip into them super bad, but I would be like, his name rhymes with Luke Summers. I'm not mentioning names guys, but his name rhymes with Luke Summers. <laughs> you know, and I'd let them rip into them and let them set the standard. And I said, guys, we're 500 for a reason. You got to get stronger. You got to get tougher. You got to get faster. And it only happens through the work, not what we do here, but the kids you hang out with, the food you eat. And I go, you guys got to come together. So I kind of really focus on getting into the mindset of kids. But the unfortunate reality is, guys, some kids don't want to win that bad. They don't get it. You know, I tell you, even me, I was not the most coachable in high school. And then I did not feel like I had some instinct to kick somebody's ass until I got to college. So I remember going back to a high school practice. I had just turned 18. And I was driving to practice and I was like, nobody's going to score a point on me today. Today, I'm going to shut out everybody. And I never had that attitude of just dominating somebody and destroying them. I didn't think like that. And I also 
take that into account when I'm working with kids is that some kids, they're not going to grasp what I'm saying. Some are going to respond to some intense coaching. Others are going to be a little bit more where I have to catch them on their own, like catch them in the hallway to talk to them. So there's a lot of unique kind of intricacies that we're dealing with now with this younger generation. And believe it or not, this COVID lockdown is messing with their minds. They haven't seen, you know, my kids just started hanging out with some kids. So that's about seven weeks or something or six, yeah, uh, 60 days. It's about like, actually, that would be eight weeks, eight, nine weeks of not seeing friends. They, they don't, that's a very, imagine like I always, I told my son, I go, daddy was once grounded and I was going to jump out the, the window, the top. I needed to get on my bike and I was contemplating and wondering, would I break my legs if I landed or could I just take my bed sheets? I was like, I cannot be in this house. So these kids are doing it for eight weeks. It's made them crazy. And so getting them together and turning weightlifting into like a party is kind of what I do is it's, it's gotta be fun for them. Otherwise you're going to lose a lot of kids. And then even if it is fun, you're still going to lose some kids. That's the tough thing that, you know, you're going to lose kids for a million and one other reasons. That's the tricky thing. Zach, I got a question since you've been on now both sides, a lot of our block one coaches are small gym owners and they have the opportunity to make it into high schools and start training these kids outside of their school. So since you are a gym owner and now a, a school coach, what advice would you give them to start gaining some clientele if they have to approach a sport coach? What's some good ways to do it constructively so we don't get into yes. the speed only guy? Right. So number one, you don't want to try to pull them or break up the team like Johnny was saying, especially football. Football is always going to pretty much monopolize the weight room. It's just going to that's that's the way it is. It's always been that way. Those guys are probably the most into weightlifting. So you're likely not going to get too many football guys unless you offer something complimentary to what they're doing. And so being a gym owner, I actually, you know, and being a high school strength coach, I don't tell the kids, don't go elsewhere, only come here. I let the coach say, hey, we've got three scheduled workouts with Evanesh. You got to, you got to make it to those workouts. They actually created an attendance sheet and they were giving shirts according to what level you reached. And then at the, this summer, we're supposed to have a barbecue. And if you like made it to all the workouts, you're eating like ribeyes and fillets. And if you didn't make it to the certain workouts, you get hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there was a little bit like that, but I would look for the teams that don't get the love that really seek out this training. Uh, and it, of course it depends where you live, you know, wrestling is very big, obviously in my area, but in Texas, you're probably what's big, of course, football, but they have 12,000 square foot weight rooms, but probably, and also Texas is starting to have a lot of qualified strength coaches in the high school setting, but you want to find like the swim team, yeah, for Texas, the shot putters, baseball team, Texas definitely be women's sports. Is the or is not getting the love or does get the love? Not getting the love and the biggest opportunity go. that I would say there, for Texas. Bro, then there you go. And you got to just – and the girls, I got to tell you, are great. You know, training the girls at this high school has been awesome. 
And uh, they're certainly a little, you need a different, like, not so much a different training approach, but you're going to have less of that, like, you know, you know how the girls train? All right, girls, if you crush those three sets of benches, then you can choose the music on my, you could touch my phone and put Spotify playlist, Justin Bieber, whatever you want, I'll do it. And having a daughter, you know, and John, you have the twin girls, so you kind of know how they they love music, they love the social aspect. So girls also are going to want to train with their friends in groups. They don't want to go, I'm the lone girl, I'm showing up to a gym with 15 boys. They don't like that unless they've got three brothers and they're used to being around that. So focus on the girls' sports and focus on the sports where uh, they do tend to seek out extra training. You know, wrestling, of course, that's my background, but wrestlers are the ones that are going to a lot of these strength and conditioning gyms because they're trying to find the edge. Um, football, you might need to try to get kind of these skills inter, you know, uh, intertwined. Look at that beast of a man right there. <laughs> so near me, uh, Tex, there are facilities that are now offering skill work for different football positions, whether it's uh, quarterbacks or receivers. And then that place also has strength and conditioning. So you can, if you have that background, let's say you have a track and field background, you could teach sprint mechanics. These parents are still more, um, what's the word, are more pulled in by this speed stuff. And so I've always told coaches, do not argue with parents. If a mom and dad start saying, my son, Luke Summers needs first step quickness. He needs speed and agility. Do not respond with, you need to get stronger first. You can't get fast unless you're strong. And then you start talking about, you know, the conjugate method. They don't know what the hell you're talking about. Just say, absolutely. We're, we're going to incorporate movement and speed and agility work. We're going to do an assessment. They don't want to hear about strength work if that's not what they're talking about so you have to pull people in with the language that they speak and you have to find the people that not only need it but want it they're not getting supported elsewhere and so sometimes it may not be approaching a high school text it might be you approach a swim club coach yep so you club. approach a basketball travel coach and you develop some sort of a partnership like hey i could train your team we could do it in the off season or we could do it for three months. You kind of let them set up the parameters and then you give them a team membership. And for me, I keep it real simple. Like if a team is showing up, we offer them like our sibling rate, which is $50 off the monthly membership. So if it's $195 a month, now it's $145 a month. So you got to find the people who have essentially raised their hand and said, yes, we want your help and we want an expert. That's where you got to be. And, you know, being a strength coach with the business side of things, you have to be very tough. You have to have grit, right? Like Angela Duckworth says, you have to be willing to do all this kind of behind the scenes marketing and outreach. And there's going to be nine people who say no before the 10th person says yes. And also, you know, a place you could look at if you do a little research is the boosters, right? If Booster you have clubs, a, yeah, partner you have with a, the recreation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
because they, you know, they're the ones who are bringing the money in. If Sometimes they the booster club will pay. Like the yeah. people who reached out to us, the booster club wanted to pay in full for the, so that's their fundraising money. They wanted to pay for the six months um, in full. And I'm like, look, I can't give a discount to people we've never trained when I want to discount the people who are sticking with us paying during this lockdown time. And uh, they were really just looking for who's the best price. They wanted to go to a yeah. kid 20 minutes away, you know, who I've been coaching longer than he's been alive. But look, parents don't get that. So you got to really find people. There's always in the clubs, the more kind of go-getter type people who may not wait for the team to sign up. They're going to be like, look, I'm not waiting on the team. My daughter needs to get going now. And uh, this is how I actually started my business from the garage. I went to the wrestling clubs. I put on a free clinic. I took them through an aggressive bodyweight workout, all kinds of jump training, gymnastic drills, uh, took them through workouts, then did a little speech slash Q&A with them at the end. And then I, I gave out flyers. And I remember the first time I, you know, I sold it to the parents. I said, you know, normally my price is this. I'm here. I'm given a special offer. The offer ends when I walk out the door, you know, but that was 2003, <laughs> you yeah. know, so it was a little different, but still I would, I bet you, I tell coaches, I go, guys, in 2006, I took a sick day from work. I spent like six hours in a prison to write an article. What do you guys do? You fucking look at Instagram and think your gym is going to get a hundred members. I went to prison to write an article and you guys are trying to run a Facebook ad and crying that you don't have members. And I tell them that's the difference between you and I, I take a sick day from work and go to prison and you, you sit on your phone and cry about stuff. And so you have, that's why you see me making videos and writing articles because I need to get in front of people to train them. That's the business. That's, that's the, I hate to say unfortunate part of it. I have to do all this work before I could actually coach people. And getting in front of them is, is half the battle. It's also, it's also sounding intelligent. And that's something we lean on with our methodology and our courses we put True. out. Zach is increasing our coaches or even the parents that take the courses, social intelligence. So you can talk to the sport coach and then listen to what they're saying. If they want more agility and speed and this and that, and how not to put it down, but how to craft it into right. what you are going to give that athlete. You would say, you know what? I love that. I love what you guys are doing. And what we're going to blend with that is we're going to take them through an assessment. That's going to allow us to see where they're weak. Then we want to hear from you. You're watching your son or your daughter swim every weekend. Where do you think your son or daughter is losing? Are they losing out because they're lacking the power to push off the pool? Are they gassing out the last 10, 15 seconds? If so, that's what we call power endurance. So we will work on power endurance for your son or your daughter. So you have to speak their language. And look, you know, I, I've also said this to many people. Um, you know, Luke and Tex, I got to see you guys when, when you ran, you know, the old course. You guys are very well spoken. You know when to laugh and make a joke but you also know how to be like well-spoken. And let me tell you, people nowadays can sense if they're talking to somebody who's just a big talker. They could sense if you're kind of like just clueless that you don't really know what's going on. You know, it's, uh, it's this. 
it's turning pro. It's the difference between being a pro and an amateur. And so as a coach, you need, that's the difference today is you need a lot more knowledge today than you did 10, 11 years ago to open up shop because you have to be able to speak in all these different nuances. Like when I'm coaching at the high school, I have to speak in one way to the football team. Then I'm speaking quite a bit differently to the girls soccer team. Then I speak differently to the boys baseball team because they have communicated with me a certain way. I needed to actually get the coach to buy in. You know, one of the coaches or two of the coaches didn't even want their kids training with me. (laughs) They thought they knew what to do. Then I saw them training and I had to stop. And I said, I said, you got to let me help your kids. He's like, I'm like, right now, (laughs) the things I'm seeing is just dangerous and ineffective. Let me train your kids. I won't let you, you know, that's it. And so there are times too, where you have to not sound like, oh, I don't know. You got to be like, look, you want to be a champion? This is what it takes. And also I have some angles that I use, right? There's, I always tell them, it's no mistake that I'm, I've coached at Rutgers and Lehigh, top 10 teams in the country. It's no mistake that the best wrestler in the country trained at our gym. You know, I tell them, I go, guys, it's not a mistake. The blueprint is here. We've already, we've already done this many times. Now it's up to you. And so when you're new, a younger coach, you need to really build up your media of before and afters and results. You've got to prove, you know, the results and think about it. Like, John, when you get called up to go and work with Naval Special Warfare, you didn't apply for that gig. They reach out to you. And uh, I never applied to work at Lehigh. I never applied to work at Rutgers. They reached out to me. That's where you're always striving to be. And how do you get there? You become great as a coach. And being a great coach, I mean, takes a lot. You got to know movies, evidently. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's number one. And then number two, (laughs) you got to be great with also the social dynamics is so important. You know, Brett Bartholomew is very big on that because he sees, and you can even sense he gets frustrated with how coaches don't want to invest in this kind of like psychological knowledge. He, it disappoints him because he knows that if you don't know how to speak to an, a coach, then speak to an athlete, you know, like the team you're training at 4 PM, you know, 50% might respond to this tone, 25% another tone. And then this other 25%, they might need a little more freedom. They might, you know, you might have to have some more, uh, freedom with like exercise selection with them. They might be more advanced. And so you got to say, okay, all right, you're 240. You're not, you're, you're probably not going to get 10 pull-ups yet, but I'm going to let you do X, Y, Z. You know, you, you're the social dynamics of coaching is very, is very big, very big. And that was also, um, you know, I mentioned you guys a military position. I'll just kind of keep it at that. But that was the one thing I think they really liked about me was that I understood how to coach somebody who's 18, 19, 42 years old, 45 years old in the same group, male, female, different experience levels. That was something that they were like, okay, that's a pro. That's what we need. And that's, how do you get there? You got, you have to coach a lot. You got to do yeah. a lot of coaching. 
I always thought that the mu- the movie thing had to do a little bit about uh, what Derek Woodsky <laughs> talked about um, at the symposium, the idea of like having like a little bit of boredom, imagination, a little bit of fantasy, like imagining yourself to be a better version. And like, uh, like the movies, if anything, like uh, you get to see some heroic characters, you know, fighting against, you know, good and bad in this. And yeah. I think like, uh, you know, for Derek, it was that idea of like, you know, boredom and being alone and kind of becoming like the super- superhero, your own deal. I think for a lot of the stuff, man, like I can think of some young, some movies I saw when I was young that were super impactful, like the one, and I know you guys haven't seen it, but do you guys remember Jim Cotta? No. You oh, remember the, yeah. the dude where yes. he like goes in and they have oh, that yeah. like, that like on like Trains the ground, the like uh, Kumite where they're competing and they go to like the crazy yeah. village and like the dude's like, I remember seeing that, that being like, man, that dude's like skills allowed him to survive or you see Rambo yeah. or you see this and you realize that like one thing's universal. They're always good fighters they're always in good shape they always can move like they're not fearful and like i think all that stuff kind of plays into it you know what's missing john it's there's not a lot of like training montages anymore jim cotta would go and train in the woods right he had the the bars you know rocky always had a training montage and now i'm thinking to myself like where's the montage of the rock well think about like the commando right do you remember in commando when uh uh, arnold is walking out of the forest with like the log on his shoulder yeah yeah and like i mean dude there's like the epic training montages like ever like there was always a point to these guys that were these kind of uh, anti-heroes or heroes but they were always super fit and there was always some form of like hard work training associated with it well and uh, people post those photos they're like superhero of the 80s and 90s jacked Superhero of today is like 175 pounds. CGI. Uh, not the Avengers, though. I mean, um, I don't know how big Chris Evans was when he cop- popped out of the uh, out of like the capsule thing, you know, in, in Captain America. But well, dude, to I got to speak to the the point of the movie, and it is a representation, right? If we're talking to a kid, this is the here and the now. A movie is a 90 minute representation that we can say, hey, your hero, you started here. And then after training, time, effort, trial, failure, he got here. Right now, we are facing that trial. We are facing pre-training in the montage. If you really want it, you're going to suffer like Captain America or whoever, and then you're going to get there. And, John, I'm looking at this Jim Cotta. This Love that movie. Awfully good. <laughs> uh, it was growing up. This was probably, what year is it? it you That's early 80s, are 1985, man. John. So it's in your oh, yeah, so, movie year. So, so this is uh, <laughs> this movie. Like my brothers, like we had it on VHS. So we watched it. We rented it so much that we ended up buying it on VHS. Yeah. And didn't return it? No, we, we returned it, but we just rented it every time. My dad would be like, ah, oh, it's fucking Jim Cotta movie. So then we ended up just somehow, I think, I think we went somewhere and they had the dual uh, VHS recorders. So we were able to record it, take home a pirated deal. <laughs> that was and illegal. we watched it so much. <laughs> That like there was like it started like, you know, when like the tape would deteriorate. It would be all yeah, like have all the lines. Yeah. yeah, we watched the shit out of that movie. <laughs> OK, so I just pulled this John, up on Rotten Tomatoes. R- I'm sorry. To this guys. Oh, go ahead. Text. Just real quick. This is hilarious. <laughs> it, yeah, out of three thousand eight hundred and twenty three people voted on this movie. Twelve. Twelve thought it was good. 
Uh, it just goes to show Rotten Tomatoes John, is fucking awful. John like, is heartbroken. He was uh, speechless I'm for not, like five uh, seconds. No, there. I'll tell you why I'm not heartbroken. Because those 12 people all probably were either played in the NFL, UFC champions, or <laughs> yeah, like right. he, like heavyweight boxing quality. champion, or a billionaire. I guarantee the 12 it's, people that liked it are like some like, yeah, it like uh, whereas the other people that didn't like it are complaining now that they don't have any fucking weights at their house because they're not Jim yeah. What what was this? I think it was Dan John said it. Uh, you guys have brought it up before. The three factors, genetics, environment, opportunity. Uh, genetics, geography, it? and opportunity. Yeah. yeah, genetics, geography, opportunity. So, okay, you're talking about training with old man Zangus. I'm talking about when I finally got to Diamond Gym and start and, you know, opportunity, finally got to watch Dan Gable. Or, you know, I look at, like, what's what's big opportunity for our kids at this one gym that we're in the martial arts building? You're in one of the best wrestling clubs in the country. Then you're in one of the best strength and conditioning clubs in the country. They're right there. So opportunity is right there. And if you live close by, now the convenience factor everybody loves. And so these kids where I'm at the school with, they don't realize, like, I'm not like, Google my name. I don't say stupid stuff like that. But I, the way I was going to get into their hearts was through getting the guys who were showing up, getting them results. As the shirts started stretching, more kids started showing up because they started realizing, damn, dude, Matt just gained 15 pounds in three months. You know, it's like they started realizing I better I better get on this. And so so, so it says genetics, geography and opportunity, opportunity. So. Hey, is the guy up the street from you a national weightlifting champion, a world-recognized powerlifter? Is he an MMA fighter that's going to teach you how to wrestle in his backyard? These are all, you know, make-or-break factors that sometimes we need opportunity too late. Where it's it's like we're, we've gotten past our uh, competitive. What does a dad often say to me? I wish something like this was around when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah it so was. do I. That's why I built it. Yeah, you're like it was. <laughs> you just didn't fucking know about it because nobody called you. <laughs> you know, uh, Bert Soren said something to the effect of when he was a kid, you know, the best weightlifting coaches back then were just training out of their garage. One car garage, a pair of squat stands, and a bar and bumpers. Like, you know, Olympic caliber weightlifting coaches. That's that's the way it was, mm-hmm. you know. So it's uh, and the way you grew it up on that be. block, right? And then oh, there's your geography. That's right. If you grew up on that block, there's just a lot of intricacies and intangibles going on with with these kids nowadays. They're really super distracted on their on their phones, you know. I mean, there. I remember one kid. He was yawning so much, and I just lit him up. And he's like, it's been a long day. I'm like, it's Friday. I haven't yawned once. I've been here two months. I haven't yawned here once. What <laughs> did you do? I went to bed late. Oh, you went. Time you go to bed, 1 a.m. That's over, dude. You're not going to bed at 1 a.m. And then, you know, it's like, here, that's the deal. You're on your phone until 1 a.m. Then you're waking up at 6 a.m. And that's why I tell them, at your age in high school, all you guys should be ripped. You should all look like tanks. You should be... You're at like your genetic peak. Like you could get Jack just looking at the weights. And if you're not, then I could see your food. I know all you eat is like uh, pasta and shit out of a can. If you're jacked and ripped, you're eating steak, potatoes, eggs, 
you're having two turkey sandwiches, you know, like you're eating oatmeal, you're eating like you're supposed to. So not everybody gets that. Some parents are, are raising their kids on all TV dinners, all TV dinners. They don't cook ever. You know, John, you were raised on burgers and rice. That <laughs> gets you jacked. Yeah. Well, that was the original vertical diet. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I dude, uh, Stan should be paying my mom fucking uh, royalties. The, the hilarious part about it is he was talking about cranberry juice. Yep. And uh, that was old man Zangus's deal that you got to drink uh, pure cranberry juice every day. So he used to give us these little like containers that yep. was like super saturated and you mix it with water and we had to drink that shit. So funny. And, they uh, did that at Diamond Gym yeah. post-workout. They yeah. sold tiny bottles and you were supposed to drink that post-workout you know and and then there was like black cherry juice and all this weird shit and like i just it's uh it's just funny man like thinking about all this stuff but like as you're talking about diamond gyms so at um i don't know if you know this but there's a steakhouse called lowry's and it's uh you know lowry seasoning salt but they had a steakhouse and all they serve is monster prime rib and the biggest cut of prime rib is called the diamond jim brady cut and it's like it's a pound and a half of uh, of prime rib, and Who's that, that was named like, after diamond. That's the only. I, I don't know. Like I, I might have to Google the the deal, but it's funny that you keep calling Diamond Jim because every time you say Diamond Jim, I start salivating <laughs> like a Pavlov's dog because yep. of the Diamond Jim Brady cut. So like maybe once or twice a year, when I was growing up, my dad would be like, "Hey, where do you guys want to go?" And we'd be like, "Lowry's," because they had these huge prime rib, but they also Six. had like bread pudding and all this stuff. And, um, man, like every time you say it, like all it's doing is making me think of like prime rib and I'm salivating. I'm like, Oh God, after this, uh, you ever have have the prime rib at Salt Lake? Uh, yes, I have had the prime rib at Salt Lake. It's good. Is that in the downtown Austin? No, it's in, it's in Driftwood outside. I think I thought Jeremy Teal had taken me there. Salt Lake grill. He Those probably cool. did, but it's like it's, it would be a twenty-minute shot from there. Back when you were when you seen yeah, Texas, you had it. Yeah, I have actually. Yeah, uh, on Sundays. It, is, it, is it Sundays that they had it? I've been there yeah, for a Sundays. Sunday brunch with, with the prime rib. It, it was good, but I'm just yeah, telling it's like you, a two Luke. Pound. Oh no, it, it, it's okay. Like yeah, I was going to say like a little disappointed for how great Salt Lake does everything else, but um, yeah, it's, they, it's just like a uh, you know two and a half inch thick two pound cut of prime rib. It's pretty impressive to see. Yeah, the, the old what should we Brady. guys what should we close out on what should we well, close out on we can't leave without highlighting and i've seen your your iron roots on oh, the play yeah. pro app so play, great play our old friend ron mckeefrey but now is yep. tipped to the cap his position as the vice san where's he at san jose state uh, no. he's at fresno, fresno state fresno, fresno now state gary, yep. gary Schofield took over his position with play in oh, the did he the i didn't know gary yeah. took that over but nice. you've got your own little TV show on their app. Would you mind well, sharing? Yeah, you know what happened? Here's what happened. Ronnie came out here to film the uh, Beyond the Chalk. And uh, at the time, I was at Rutgers. And uh, we actually asked our director if he could come and film some of me training the guys at Rutgers. And he said no. So he was like, damn. All right. So we filmed, <laughs> of course, at my, <laughs> we filmed at my uh, gym drove around a little bit, showed him where I first started the underground. Um, then he came over my house. I grilled up some, I take care of people, Johnny. I grilled up the food. Johnny has yet to come over to house. So I had, Hey, it's like all just hearsay for him now to get this good food. So then I bring them down to my office and I cleaned out some of these, not like my bodybuilding books, my old stuff, but I showed him 
the old collection, the vintage stuff. And he was like, holy hell, man. He's like, this is like a museum down here. And he's like, hearing you get so excited about it, he's like, we should maybe do a series on that. So we started the series. And basically, long story short, I think they just, they're the videographer who kind of started doing it, had to pull, pull the plug. Then they had to get another guy. So we didn't get to do it as good as we wanted to. But basically, we, I showcased some of the most more and most influential old school books <laughs> that I love. And uh, things like Dr. Ken, the original Dinosaur Training Files, the Dr. Ken Leisner uh, books and the videos that I got. I'm trying to think of uh, some of the other books. Uh, old Mike Menser, you know, articles and the Mike Menser hit training methods. So I would kind of highlight either a training method, a training system, a book. And then the last thing was um, I had known about Jan Dellinger being an employee at York Barbell under Bob Hoffman and sharing an office with John Grimmick. And uh, I did, I did my little research and I saw his name on Facebook, but he didn't have the profile photo up. And I knew Jan was older and maybe just didn't want to be contact. But I was like, let me just try. You know, I, I told him, I said, if we could go to York Barbell and interview him and get stories and do some, you know, behind the scenes history. And so I reached out to him and asked him if he'd be up for me coming up to York Barbell and us filming it. And uh, so we, he, we spoke all things York Barbell weightlifting history. Then we did a tour of the museum. So I think we did 24 episodes. Um, we didn't push it out like I, like I hoped we could and wanted to. It's on YouTube as well. They put it on, I don't even know if they got all the audios up on the podcast, but basically they've got bigger fish to fry, right? They've, they've got all the big projects. So it was something that Ron was also hoping that, let's say you're a strength, a head strength coach and you want to do continuing education and you've got coaches who are like 25 years old. They're going to be like, who the fuck's Dr. Ken Leisner? You know, let me show you. And so actually somebody reached out to me. Legend. Yeah. At a, uh, is that a Zach, didn't you send me those Ohio? CDs? You, you sent me those DVDs of Dr. Ken, and uh, yeah, I I uh, uh, probably had them duplicated. Yeah, and yes, it was also I the Kirk Kowalski. Yeah, so it was yes. the Kirk Kowalski deadlift, and then the Dr. Ken. You know how hilarious it is. I kept those in Captain my truck, Kirk. and whenever yes. I was like driving around or like had like a long Watch trip, them. I would throw them <laughs> in the DVD player, and I would you watch. You called the- <laughs> me on a road trip to like you may I don't know where you were driving to but I think you were watching the Polish weightlifting videos yeah, yeah. that I originally got in 08 or 09 from uh, yep. coach Reeve. Now, of course it's on YouTube. Nothing is sacred, but um, yeah. you know, I wanted to shit, you know, Ron also felt, look, man, this, this history is important. We did, you know, I showed, I think the first one I uh, book I did was strongest shall survive. You know, where did five by five originate from? Okay. The first originator was actually Reg Park. Then, you know, we had our, our uh, boy here, Bill Starr. Yep. And, you know, Jim Steele writes some great old stories about his time visiting Bill Starr. So, you know, for me to get that stuff out, that's important because these books, you know what gets the most views. Mark Bell said it. Look, when I could squat a thousand pounds, nobody's listening to me. Now that I'm ripped, everybody's listening to me. And so it's important to get this information out there because the stuff that is getting out think about it i thought these kids who 
who told me they don't want to work out. They don't want to train with me. I'm on my own program. I thought that meant, yeah, maybe they're following the program. Maybe I'm going to see this kid bench and do pull-ups. I never saw a kid squat or do any leg work until I trained them. They were allergic to legs. So we need this older information because those guys really paved, you know, they paved the way like this is, you know, what's interesting is these older books, these older programs by these world champions, it's just power bodybuilding. Yeah. You know, what do we talk about? Linear periodization on a lot of these basic lifts and then supersets with the bodybuilding movements to get your conditioning up. Well, and even these, these powerlifters were sprinting and riding their bikes. Well, there was a bunch of like, you know, kind of like low volume, high intensity, density work that they would do. And yes. then they would hit a ton of accessory. Like I remember yeah, reading one sets. of um, Bill Kazmaier's programs and it was like five sets of 10 of everything. So it was like, yeah, he, he did like sets of 10 with like 550 on the bench. And he went over and he handed 200 pound dumbbells for five sets of 10 every night. I mean, and then he would do slight incline and then he'd do decline and this. And it was like seated shoulder press. Uh, it was all yep. five sets of 10, just straight up, uh, you know, powerlifting, bodybuilding, you know, <laughs> with a bunch of heavy singles, triples and doubles somewhere in the program. Somewhere and, they did it linear, though. They actually saved the single to the competition. They, yeah. Even on deadlifts, it was often they would do five. Sometimes they would go eight, five, three, with eight reps on a deadlift. Yeah, you don't that's, hear about um, that nowadays. Well, that's like the Bill Cohn. I mean, uh, Ed Cohn. You know, you, starts with, you yeah. start with eights, then you get to sixes, and you get to fours, well, then you get to doubles, and then you hit your singles in the program. Of, young pictures of Eddie Cohn in here. I mean, you could see he's just... He's built like such a tank. Well, and the crazy oh, part is unit, he, he had, uh, he's so short, but he's got such like, he's like, what, five, seven, five, six, but he's got like a six foot five, length. Five, six, I think. Yeah, he's got like six foot length arms. That's why he was such long a good arms. Yeah, long arms. So yeah, so this is Bill Sino. He was also a bodybuilder. You know, Louie always talks about him teaching him how to do the illegally wide bench press. And so these are the guys that you really wanted to, that's who you wished would teach you how to train and would have come along you know for me i did not get in front of these power lifters we had you know a lot of bodybuilders and a lot of drugs in the early 90s and so that style of training was not conducive to sports um unfortunately and there was no strength and conditioning books you know i've got some old um let me show you this older book here i had heard matt wenning talk about this guy may have been like the first guy he tried to intern under. It's called, not sure if you ever saw it, Johnny. It's uh, Conditioning for Football by Tom Zapanik. I think he was. Yeah, yeah. I, I know Tom Zapanik is. Was he with Indiana? He was with yeah. the Colts. Yeah, yeah. He so was a coach. Everything, everything in there is pretty basic, but my favorite, my favorite stuff that I found was this. He shows this competition. The guy's running with bales, you know, hay bales, throwing stones, throwing tires. And so that, and, you know, training outside, um, even uh, uh, having some old com conversations with Johnny Parker. But otherwise, these guys are doing high poles, squats. They're doing leg extension and leg press. I mean, I'm sure that was even, I think you said one of the teams you were on, the whole thing was machines. The whole place was set up with machines. Yeah, that was at the Eagles. Yeah, but they the were Eagles. Penn State. Yeah, they were Penn State hit guys. Penn but State I mean, was when big I, hit guy. Yeah, when I went to when, when I went to the Patriots, they had everything. Like they like 
they had a hundred times like a hundred ways to train your legs, like a hundred different machines. And then they had like one really nice set of Alico squat rack with bars and bumpers. And I was like, Ooh. And I remember when I started loading it up, like the strength coach came sprinting out and he was so excited because nobody had used it in like 10 years, you know? Right. I was like, Whew. you want to know something interesting? I know you guys got to go and I hate keeping you from your son. Um, what was that TV show they did with the guy from Detroit, uh, Barwis, right? Barwis. So, uh, do you remember that TV show they did? Uh uh-uh. uh. What was it they called? They were, um, it's Barwis, the Barwis method. He was out in uh, Detroit training a lot of pro athletes. And it was a lot of like, you know, um, how do you say the word? A lot of like show, show type stuff, right? It was TV. And, um, He's got a place in Florida. So my when we go to Florida for my daughter's tennis, my son gets his uh, privates in baseball. And uh, the guy that teaches him privates um, played in the majors a bit and is works out of Barwis. So we are there over, I think we were there on like the morning of Christmas Eve, maybe the morning of Christmas Day, I can't recall. So we're getting our, um, Ethan's getting his private with pitching. This place is so big, Johnny. I mean, it's a monster building. Where is it at in uh, Orlando? No, we stay in Boca, so it's like twenty uh, minutes outside of the Boca area, maybe yeah. Deerfield Park or something like that. I'm not, so I it's never, down south. It's down south. Yeah, I'm never like the best with the geography there. The place is huge. It's kind of becoming like the American Top Team. They've got jujitsu, MMA. They got this huge turf, all this you know beautiful equipment, and so the coaches come in. And they're all young and, you know, nobody, you know, I don't expect anybody to know, recognize me at all, but they look like they're like 25, 26. I'm just sitting down watching my son. They come in for their morning workout. So they go through like a long, like movement prep, dynamic stuff. Then they're like, you know, attaching cables to themselves. Then they're massaging themselves with the gun. Uh, And then I think they like, they may have done like, I don't know, three sets of clean. I don't know. Maybe they deadlifted. They did something. They touched the bar for like three minutes. Then we're leaving and they're all in the, um, the compression, you know, uh, recliner chairs. And uh, my son, you know, he, my son is young. My son is 11 years old and he's, and we leave. He goes, why are they um, in those recovery chairs? They didn't even actually do anything. Yeah. <laughs> he like noticed <laughs> like, like shit. My they daughter would say. He like noticed that they weren't banging weights. They didn't do like they weren't lifting. They weren't like hard sprinting. They had sleds. They've got all this equipment, fancy stuff, but they didn't. Nobody was throwing any weights around. I was like, damn, dude, this going back to the question that Tex is asking me about. How do you train people? Look, man, strength work and that explosive, aggressive style of strength work where you're jumping and doing contrast method a lot. We do that constantly. That scares people. They just people just want to like run around cones and do all kinds of drills and mistake that for you know uh, getting work done and getting better. And unfortunately, I've trained kids who come from only doing that for six months and then they can't do one pull up. And that's where I see the big disconnect. Like, all right, if you're going to do all that sprint and agility work. You got to do pull-ups. You got to do carries. You have to squat. You have to bench. You got to eventually move some resistance. Like you got to. And you know what the biggest carryover from that is? You get somebody confident who believes in himself or herself. And think about now your girls are swimming 
They're going to get like in a few years, they're going to start lifting with you a little bit. They're going to have a very unique edge of confidence that other girls don't have. And I notice it even with my daughter. My daughter's almost 14. My daughter's taller than my wife. My daughter's like 5'8 right now. <laughs> Okay, she's not even 14. She'll be 14 the end of the summer. When she comes with me to the gym on the regular, I notice her demeanor changes. It just changes. When she goes outside and runs hard, it has a better, it just impacts her mind. She believes. And so that's the biggest and best carryover that most athletes actually need is they got to learn how to believe in themselves. Because if you could get them to believe and they have the skills, you have a really deadly and dangerous combination right there. Somebody who knows he's going to win. That's, that's what we want. Preach. Preach brother. I got, I got one more question for you, Zach. And then I'm hopefully yeah. fire us up for maybe three or four minutes and whatever. You but got. Uh, so what's the Batman story? Oh yeah. So I've written about it and I called him. His name was George was training at the YMCA in the neighboring town called Metuchen. And back then, the YMCAs were like nearing the end of their, you know, old school ways. The whole thing was set up with York equipment. So the dumbbells were the York round heads. Um, you had a York isometric rack in there, a flat bench, an incline bench. There was a cable crossover machine and a dip bar. And Big George used to just train in sweats, sweatpants, sweatshirt, but you could see his chest and his arms and his traps pushing the sweatshirt. Well, Batman came out in the spring. That may have been 89. That may have been the end of my freshman year. And I remember seeing George train. And George never did a ton of exercises. He would do like two exercises, but like 20 to 30 minutes per lift. So if he was doing benching, he'd be benching you know, like every other minute banging out a set, high volume. So that day I saw him dumbbell benching and I remember him just banging out the hundreds, like in, to, in the way I would bench the 30 pounders, killing them, killing them, killing them. Then I saw him doing set after set of weighted dips. Okay. I'm doing all kinds of nerdy activity. He takes his sweatshirt off. He's got a Batman t-shirt on. His arms are like destroying the shirt. He even like uh, cut the shirt here so the arms could move. And he was like doing push downs with the stack. And you just saw like his triceps were like, boom. And every time I hear Batman, I'm like thinking George. <laughs> George was just, <laughs> that guy was jacked. And so interesting is that when he wasn't around, the guys who were trying, trying to mentor me, They'd be like, yeah, man, George is on the juice. George is on the juice. But when you look back at it, it's like, you know what? We were all doing crap. George would bench. Then he would do dips. Then he, he would do three exercises. Or he would do like uh, RDLs for 30 minutes. And uh, then he would – and then I can't – like he would do like a few exercises. But he was always going heavy, moderate reps. I always remember him being like around eight to ten reps on stuff. Not really low reps, not never grinding out the weights, but he was built like a tank. And now that, of course, I know, it's like, well, look at his exercise selection. Benching, weighted dips, and then pushdowns with the stack. You know, heavy RDLs, a, a Jean, Jean Wellborn favorite right there. <laughs> and there's that's why this guy, he, he was jacked. And let me tell you, when that gym, that gym was in the basement of the YMCA, right near the pool. So it, like you had that musty chlorine smell. 
when they got rid of it and revamped YMCA weight room upstairs became like all body masters equipment, you know, upstairs, no weights you, you could. So there was no dumbbell. So, you, you know, nobody could even drop weights. I remember George curling the easy bar with the 45 on each side. And, uh, I remember he left the 45 on there and there was like uh, truck drivers that were lifting with their work boots. He left, he didn't put the weights away. And they were like, that's a bad motherfucker right there. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever I think of Batman, I think of big George of the YMCA 1989, baby. Z, are you tracking <laughs> the new Batman, Robert Pattinson's, uh, state? No, uh, I'm actually yeah, not. How he big... said not to pay, uh, I don't want to like, um, he said, I don't want to lift weights. I don't want to train to be in shape. I don't want to, uh, like objectify or like, you know, com oh, continue yeah. to this like skinny spread, skinny spread this culture of like toxic masculinity by making, by being in good shape. Let me I tell you guys you're something working about out that. all the time. You're part of the problem. That's the exact quote. That is horrible. You know, Ryan Mickler, I love, he's, he's really firing people up with that, but let me tell you guys something. I sent out a, uh, I have my newsletter, <clears throat> I have a newsletter and I email Every day I wake up and I write and um, I was emailing about how uh, like my neighbor was going nuts at, at my gym until I went outside and had words with him. And uh, so one guy, um, California Highway, is it, the, are they the chips guys? The California Highway yeah, CHP. Control? Yeah. CHP. He goes, Zach, man, I cannot agree with you more about the need to not only be strong, but to look strong. I said, like, people... Like a criminal looks for a victim. So if I'm a if I'm a robber and I see John, I'm not like, oh yeah, I'll fucking get that guy. You know, you're big. You're you already you already stopped the criminal just by the way you look. So he said to me, he goes, All these people who don't want to train, and I was talking about learning, you need to know some sort of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Can you throw a punch? Do you know Muay Thai? What about wrestling? So he said to me, he, he like sent me a screenshot of a report of this one guy who just wreaked havoc. And I think it was in, um, oh, it may have been Orange County, trying to uh, Rancho Cucamonga. That's a nice area, right, John? No, not at all. Oh, it's not. Okay. No, Rancho Cucamonga. So I'll, I'll just give you a little history. So what happened was there was a... Uh, um, like uh, when housing prices went up, a bunch of people within the inner city sold their places to developers and they all moved out to the IE and Rancho Cucamonga was like uh, the area where everybody from like Compton and like that kind of part went. So if you ever watch like the, like the next Friday or any of those movies where they're like, mm -hmm. you know, won the lottery, they all moved out to Rancho Cucamonga. That area is a shithole. Is there another place? Rancho something? Yeah, there's like Ran Rancho Mirage. Um, you could also, um, uh, like uh, Rancho Palos Verdes, where you know it was like one of the next towns over. But so I think it may have been the Cocomunga area, but this one guy basically started wreaking havoc. One guy, he was un he was unable to be stopped. He like gave me this whole list. He like set up he set up shop off the side of a highway, shot a car's tire out, carjacks <laughs> like shoots the car, gets in the car, gets rid of that car. You know, cars had a traffic light, goes up with a knife, stabs somebody, then goes, you know, he was just, nobody knew how to kind of stop a guy who's roaming around. Like some guy comes into my car with a knife, I'm fucking grabs arm, I'm going to bite him, I'm going to fucking destroy him, right? But like people, I think, are in shock. Nobody wants to be strong, like it's bad. And I'll tell you, 
when I first opened my gym here, we went to eat. And my wife said, when we walked by, this guy said, that's the guy that lets kids run with their shirts off. And look, when kids start putting on muscle and I send them out for what's there's a, we're near an Acme, it's like a 400 meter run, maybe 500 meter. They take their shirts off. So it was like an army of kids ripped up, you know, they're proud of themselves. They put muscle on and he's like upset about it. I'm thinking to myself, my gym's a mile from the beach. There's about thousands of people with their shirts off. What the hell is like this guy's problem? But it goes to show you, you know, that people what Louis Sims always says, weak people hate strong people. It's like they have a problem with us, but see, we're not doing it to be showboaters. We do it because training has changed our lives and we see what it does for others. So it's really interesting to hear that this guy is, he's going to be Batman, you know, and wherever big George is out there, <laughs> he's very disappointed. Like this guy cannot become Batman. <laughs> Can't yeah, have it's disappointing, it. dude. Like, horrible. Well, it's, I don't uh, know either, guys. It, I don't know. I'm, I'm telling you, man. There's a, there's a whole revolution against this toxic masculinity deal, and the, by the fact that they're selecting that Robert Patton guy as Batman is just like there's certain bastions of like what they consider toxic masculinity. Because unfortunately, I read too much about this on the internet. Uh, but one of them is within the superhero movie genre. Um, you look at like the Avengers, and you know you got uh, you know Tony. Um, you said this one guy became like a, he's like yeah, weak and drunk. Yeah. Or... Well, like yeah, and, and it's like uh, uh, who's it? Um, uh, who's Robert Downey Jr.? Tony Tony Stark. Stark. Yeah, Tony Stark, Stark yeah. the billionaire playboy. And then you got Chris. You know, like there's like the they're all these kind of strong male characters, yeah. and and they, they do have strong female characters, but they're feeling that that that's fueling the toxic masculinity. So then by uh, you know <clears throat> by casting him as Batman, it's going to like you know show that like even weak fucking pussies can be fucking Batman. Like it, it's a really, imagine, really uh, weird, weird Ka deal. Callie, Callie's out there, you know, patrolling the streets. Hey, Hey, fuck's going on here. Got some toxic masculinity, huh? Turn around, <laughs> uh, <laughs> turn around, put your well, hands it, behind your back. It's a weird deal, man. It's, it's, the hell you think you're uh, doing around um, here? You are going away for a long time. <laughs> like, like the whole thing is it, I, I think it's so fabricated. Like I've read both sides of like it and it's, it's, uh, it's, what is going on in this uh, world? Bro? Well, the, the good news is the, the female Catwoman, female lead, Zoe Kravitz, she is banging weights. She said she's training five days a week Hells in the same yeah. article. So I don't know. Like, it's a I weird mean, world. Having daughters, it is a strange um, world. Having daughters, I appreciate like strong female characters in these movies. Yes, me too. Uh, for, for my son, uh, I just tell him, I'm like, um, I tell him all the time, we're eating. I'm like, you're going to be big and strong like daddy, right? Yep, yep, yep. I'm like, I'm like, mm. I'm like, daddy doesn't eat bars. What are we gonna have? Let's eat some jerky, you know. And so, like, he's gonna grow up with that. But man, I, I really like that idea of, um, like, we were talking about, like, fantasy and like, you know, boredom and like, kind of creating your own deal. I mean, we had the Commandos and uh, like, you know, Schwarzenegger and this and Rambo, all comic these other books. Things. Yeah, I didn't read books. comic books, but a lot of kids they read comic books, and everybody had they were there was a superpower. You were so strong. You could swim. And can you imagine what those comic books did for kids? Is it, it fueled your imagination. It and even, even these old magazines, like if I find, if you look at the, um, you know, I would show a lot of these uh, in, in Iron Roots, I would show the advertisements in these magazines 
it just, I could, <laughs> I could be ready to send them my money today. And the way they made people look in these advertisements was like, and guys, I actually did a uh, article on this one, John, called the high definition diet. Oh, this, yeah. this is, yeah, this is from, it's basically keto. This is from six, March, 1968. It's basically steak, eggs, milk, cheese, two meals a day, very large meals, John McCallum. And yeah, man, so it's really interesting what the heck is going on in this world. I, I mean, but I see it like a lot of people don't want to, they just don't want to get strong. And I'm going to tell you what, it's cause it's work. And a lot of people yeah, don't like to work. Permission to not work, right? Yeah, well, look, it, man. And, uh, people don't want to work. To add to this ownership, and while we're on the superheroes, so yeah. the new Black Widow, her sister, the actress that plays her sister, Florence Pugh, she said her one condition for joining the the movie is she got to call, quote, quoting her, she got to call her own shots on her body. So what that means is she wasn't going to, like always be checked on, have a regimen. So she designed her own training and then would bring her own meals to the set where uh, Good for her. The, the big star had her own chef and everything. She yeah. declined that offer to share the chef and just like her own words took control of her body to still look like a badass bitch. Can, this, this, female, this female actress is the female actress that would portray you in the female rendition of Power <laughs> Athlete, the movie. That is that so correct? Funny According to my that. choice from the Brew crew, yes, that is her. <laughs> I can't remember who we selected. I think I picked... Um, <laughs> the female for me? Yeah, I can't remember who I picked I don't, for you. I don't that was a weird... I was confused by that question. Who would you be if you were a female? No, nah, it was no. If, if they were going to play like the... Like, like a, you, oh. know, you know how they did Ghostbusters, but they did like the female version of Ghostbusters. So yes. they were thinking like who would be the female version for for the Power Athlete crew. Power and, Athlete the movie. Uh Power Athlete the movie. I think you were um man, I can't off. I'm Some sure movies somebody I didn't will remember. Guys, look at these ads. You know, they had the the people that they portrayed in these old muscle ads, John Grimmick of course. Like you just would look at those ads and you'd be like, yeah, man, I'm going to buy that supplement. I'm going to buy those <laughs> liver tablets or whatever it is. It's just, oh, I, God, I just dude. love those uh, ads. Zangus used to give us these liver tabs and they were like these <laughs> huge chalky They're tabs. Huge. And like you eat one of them and you like thought you're going to puke for three days. And he's like, I need you to eat 10 of those liver tablets. Yep. And then the, the hilarious protein. part was when I met Bill Kazmaier at Summerstrong, I mentioned Zangus and he's like those fucking liver tablets. <laughs> And I was like, you remember those two? They were like chalky wafers. The things that guys would give us. Here, last story, guys. John's checking his phone. That means it's got to be the last story. I remember being at Diamond Gym and they're at, you know. I'm just making sure my kids haven't burned anything down. I know. I I see Cashy coming in and it's like, that kid is so funny. He he reminds me of my son. They're just, they're like little wild cowboys. So I'm I'm at um, Diamond Gym. And uh, I see John Kemper. He's he's passed away since, and another guy, pro bodybuilder. And uh, I'm talking to them. That has training going. I'm like, I feel like I've stalled out. They're like, tell us, like, what what do you eat when you go home? So I'm like, yeah, I have chicken, rice. So like, how often do you eat red meat, steak? I'm like, I don't know, once a week. They're like, that's your problem right there. They're like, you need to stop with these egg whites. You need to have whole eggs. So they're like, for breakfast, you need eight egg whites and four yolks. So I'm going to have eight eggs, two pieces of toast with butter and oatmeal. 
Then when you're done training, have your protein shake. Then drive, then you drive home, have a spoon of peanut butter, then have your steak and salad. And I'm like, I don't know if I could eat steak. Like I don't even have ripped abs. They're like, you don't have ripped abs because you're not eating enough protein and fat. So then John Kemper says to me, he's like, what supplements are you taking from here? I'm like, I don't really take supplements. He's like, try this. I'm like, what's this? He goes, it'll feel like D-ball. I go, I wouldn't know. He goes, I would. (laughs) So it's whatever thing he gave me. I remember like shaking it in the shaker cup after the workout and the top of my shaker cup exploded off. I was like, what the shit did this guy just give me? (laughs) He he was just like, he was amazing. And you know, John was a bodybuilder from the 60s, 70s and 80s. And I remember his daughter telling me, she's like, when he started dating, uh, you know, his, his wife, he goes, my mom, he's like, my grandma always tells me that like, she thought John was the antichrist because he would like come in the Harley with like a leather vest with the sleeves cut off. He had these big muscles and they didn't see guys like that back then. So it was like interesting. And you know why he told me to eat like that? Think about it. He grew up training in North Jersey where the Joe Weider offices were, you know, North Jersey YMCA, a lot of um, golden era bodybuilders came in there. Those guys were eating steak, eggs, oatmeal, cottage cheese, drinking whole milk. And so I look at like, how did people train in that gym, how they ate, why they looked so like thick because of that style of training and eating was very much like these magazines had the better information than what's out and about today. These guys all did powerlifting, weightlifting, and then like gymnastics work. They did a lot of hand, hand balancing work. Stuff's great, man. Great Dude, stuff, Jack. guys. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, bro. And, Love you guys. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. And if you don't know who Zach Avanesh is, he's our all-time air <laughs> guest on Power Athlete Radio. And you got to oh, find man. him on, on social, check out his YouTube Um and get, get on the underground strength gym. Like, yeah, dude, I think, uh, the world needs more old school. I love when when I say old school, I know John's heart is smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Smiles a lot. Oh God. All right. All right, guys. This was great, man. Love you guys. Thank you. Peace. Later boys. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Find Zach Evanesh under the handle at Z Evanesh or Google Underground Strength Gym. Until next time, bye!